Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 59 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dane. The other familiar voice you will soon hear is Matt Feuerstein. And the third voice you will hear, because yet again, it's back-to-back episodes with a guest, three and four episodes that you will hear is someone you do not hear I was going to say as often, you would definitely not hear them as often because this is their second time ever on the show, but we are lucky to have third, this person. Third. Third? Third. It could be my fourth, guys. I, I really, I, I, don't, I don't keep track. This isn't title changes, guys. Like, I, I don't keep track of this stuff. It is your third. I, I'm positive. Well,. I don't know my own show, apparently, and we've given away the guest with. So uh, that would you might know them from uh, the Pirarisa Power Hour. If you're a way old timer like me, you might know them from the Doctor Keith Presents show on Figure Four Wrestling Online. You might know them from uh, being one of the minds bringing you AAW, one of the top indies in the U.S. Uh, back to the show for apparently the third time. Apparently, I am losing my mind, uh, Doctor Keith Lipinski. It's great to have you back. Oh, thank you guys so much. I absolutely adore this podcast. I love what you do. I really feel that you guys are really cultivating some fantastic audio, and I can't wait to lower the value of the show by being on it. So, no, this, this, this is, I, I love the show. Love both you guys. I enjoy you guys on the Twitter machine, uh, although that is a reference that uh, Bubba Ray Dudley would have made, what, 15 years ago, it <laughs> seems like. Uh, but more importantly, guys, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm getting my Christmas wish of being on the show one more time before we call this dumpster fire of a year 2020 to an end. So, like, uh, on behalf of, of of both of these guys, happy holidays to everybody, and uh, you know, to celebrate the season, no matter what religion you believe in, no matter if you're on Parlor or not on Parlor, we're here to wish you a happy holidays and reminisce about a Ring of Honor show. Where I had very little memory of this show when you guys asked me to do it, but afterwards I had some fine, fizzy watercolor memories of this ROH classic from the beautiful town of Chicago Ridge, which is sort of on the anus of the city of Chicago. So, guys, I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so, so, Dr. Keith… Um, uh, first of all, welcome back, and and I can confirm you uh, you were first on the show to review Glory by Honor two in two thousand and three, and you then came back to review uh, ROH Reborn Stage two, which was the first ROH Chicago show. Um, this is the third time you're on the show, and and we're great, great, very grateful to have you back. Very excited, but I have to ask you. Um, I hear there was an article in the National Review this week, really calling you out for using the, the doctor in front of your name. This is the controversy of the week in uh, in politics. And I want to know what your take is on the word doctor. Are you a medical doctor? Because that's apparently no, the only no, that's a, apparently the only people that are allowed to use it now. That's what I've heard. Well, it's also it, it sort of came about with the idea where if you keep on calling yourself something, eventually it will stick, and people will look at you at a different way. Oh, doctor! You know, here's someone that obviously is a trained medical doctor when I've not, and it, it's actually been more of a hindrance than anything else because you know I'll do a podcast where I'll put my Zoom moniker being Doctor Keith AAW, and then this week at work during a holiday party, I came up on the Zoom as Doctor Keith AAW, so I had to talk 
about my world like George Costanza collided during a delightful work Zoom where if it wasn't for the fact that we are required to have our video on, I would have just hung and cried. But no, I am not a medical doctor. It has led to much confusion. Uh, it's not been good for professional wrestling. Uh, <laughs> I, if, if, if you're asking me, I should have gone with Captain instead because yeah. Captain at least, you know, no one's going to sit there and doubt that. It's not all of a sudden like it's not like someone's choking on something at a restaurant because all restaurants are closed, but it's not like someone is sitting there and having a heart attack. And now that someone's going to sit there and say, excuse me, is there a captain here that could help us? You know, because <laughs> well, the captain doesn't have to do it. And really all the captain has to do is steer the ship into the iceberg. Right. Yeah. Well, well I shouldn't talk because I've been called out on right wing media for even using the title of Mr. So I, they say, <laughs> they say, they say I haven't even earned that one. So, you know, you, you deserve a Mr. Come on. Hey, thank Come you. On. You're a Mr. Matt. Thank like he actually rhymes. It sounds pretty nice. If you were a manager someplace, Mister Matt, the manager, Mister Manager, it. I'll take it. It's a term of respect, right there. That's right. So yes, in general, the doctor title is quite good, except for the fact the confusion that it causes. Like it, it but I don't want to introduce myself as. Dr. Keith, not a real doctor, because people won't get that because people will think there's a story after that. And the story isn't that good. Now, I mean, I think I think you should just say that you're the doc, the, the doctor of style. Oh, I, I, I would. But the problem is everyone looks at me and they think three little words. And then those words are jive, soul, bro, which is which is the which is what I already think of whenever I see you on an ROH DVD. Well, <laughs> who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Jive soul bro, right some there. Nice dancing and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I actually, I actually, still one of my prized possessions, and I do not unfortunately have this in my fire safe, but uh, I should now. I, I, I put in a list of things I have to do after this. Is number one, put this in the fire safe. I actually have a business card of the Reverend Slick, complete with his address and phone number. I believe I got this in uh, about 2006 or so because that's when I was still doing the Dr. Keith, uh, Dr. Keith show on uh, WrestlingObserver.com. And, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I was a huge fan of Slick growing up. I absolutely loved the doctor style. I loved his outfits. I loved everything until he found religion. And then I sort of, you know, I sort of gave up on him a little bit. But anyway, I, I was talking to him at a convention and he gave me his business card. I was like, I would be thrilled and honored to have you on my show. And he looks at me and sits there and says, $125. <laughs> and I was like, "Excuse me." He's like, "If if you pay me a if you pay the ministry a hundred and twenty five dollars, and this wasn't like the corporate ministry or the ministration or anything like that, no, guys. No. This is actually a, a nice donation for his church to get him onto my program. Hence, the Doctor of Style was never on the Doctor Keith show, and it's been a regret I've always had since that time. And, Man, and there, if it happened, fifteen year old guys. If it happened now, you could have done a GoFundMe. We could have got him on the show." The problem is I, I think there's a, a myopia of GoFundMes right now. I believe that there's actually GoFundMes for GoFundMes actually where <laughs> some are like, this GoFundMe isn't doing that good. Please help us to get more word out on this original GoFundMe, you know. Hundred hundred and twenty five dollars. Hundred and twenty five dollars for slick. But you know what though? I was a little you know, I was slick curious as as we all are. <laughs> you know, we're all men and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with it. But my issue was the fact that I remember an RF video shoot that he did where I believe that he fell asleep during it. So <laughs> if he's gonna fall asleep while having someone like Rob Feinstein in the room, can you imagine what would happen <laughs> while being on a telephone conversation with yours truly? You know? <laughs> to to, no to give you an idea 
to give you an idea of how expensive, I just looked it up as you were talking about, to, just to confirm, to give you an idea of um, how expensive Slick is pricing himself in the world of wrestling and religion. Um, Ted DiBiase, uh, a couple years ago, came to my city, and he charged a whopping $10 for a breakfast with him at the church. And uh, I did not go because, uh, being a non-religious man, I feared I would burst into flame. But you could have had a 90-minute breakfast with Ted DiBiase for a whopping $10 Canadian. So Slick deems himself 12 times the Well, the well, value. well, hold on, hold on. That's You're not counting the cost of the breakfast. Yeah. What, <laughs> I don't know what's involved with this million dollars. Is this breakfast actually a million-dollar breakfast or is it like a continental breakfast? And is, like, it, actually, and is it actually a brunch? Because, you know, sometimes people you know, can't tell the difference on a Sunday. You can't tell. Is it a breakfast or is it a brunch? That's that's a brunch food. It's it's in that middle. It's in that shade of gray right there. You know, and it's also like it is. You know, if it's going to be anything like Ted DiBiase's book, I'm not going to want to sit there and. Well, I, I can't believe this. Within the first few minutes of this podcast, I've mentioned Slick charging me money and Ted DiBiase's books. I can't wait whatever current wrestling references I can get out <laughs> during the course of this fucking podcast, guys. Well, there are, well, there is a battle of the managers on this show, but Ted Very DiBiase nice. and Slick are not part of it, sadly. Imagine and- if they were. Yeah, that would, that, that would be like a, a, fa- like a, a four-corner survival with those two added to the mix. And the show we are covering today, because there's actually no news between the last episode and this one, because this is the second half of a double shot, is uh, the Ring of Honor 3rd Anniversary Celebration Part 3. It's the third of the three-show celebration. took place February 26, 2005 at the Frontier Fieldhouse in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, in front of a reported crowd of 900 fans. The Observer noted at the time that uh, that was the company's best ever crowd in Chicago up to this point. In fact, that's a, I think that's a full 150 more people attending Chicago than uh, Joe vs. Punk 2, which would have been the previous show in Chicago, so that's a nice little boost, and um, Gabe, was this was a good time for Ring of Honor because we, we talked recently about how a few shows ago, you know, Gabe was talking about how the holiday sales were the best ever and how they were going to, you know, based on that, they were going to run so many more shows this year, and Gabe actually Gabe Sapolsky, book actually talked to the Pro Wrestling Torch and said um, Sapolsky tells the Torch he was happy with the crowds we were extremely happy with the attendance in Dayton and Chicago, Sapolsky says. The most positive thing is the fact that every time we are in Dayton and Chicago, our numbers go up a little. We were actually going to give up on Dayton, and then we did okay on October 15th, and even better last Friday. So with the small increase in numbers on each show, we will continue to run the market. The crowds both nights are great. They are still smart, but they come to the shows to have a good time and not overanalyze things. Jim Cornette said after his match on Saturday to all the guys in the match that the fans came to the show to came to like the show. So all we had to do was give them something to like when the guys are performing in a crowd in front of a crowd like that. It drives them to work even harder because they are feeding off the crowd and enjoying their work even more. Um, Sapolsky goes on to say a year ago we were dead. Now, not only were we able to come back, but we have seen a very slow yet steady growth in all aspects of our business. I try not to enjoy it too much because once you do, you become complacent and our goal is to always make every aspect of Ring of Honor better. Um, Dr. Keith, there, this was a point that Gabe mentioned on the commentary of the previous show the night before in Dayton. He kind of went on this mini rant about how, you know, these Midwest fans, you know, they're just here to enjoy the show. They don't think they know everything. And, you know, and it, was, it felt like kind of a veiled, um, like, put down of Philly and New York and, you know, um, New Jersey, I guess. At this point, they weren't really running New York, although they would soon. Um 
Do you feel like Midwest crowds were more at this point accepting or or forgiving or whatever Gabe is uh, trying to imply here? I think I think because of just Chicago being such a tough wrestling town at times that it could be a little bit more of a harder crowd to work in front of. I mean, it definitely seemed like the Chicago fans knew what they were getting into when they went to a Ring of Honor show. Like they knew what they were going to do, but there was a lot of fun going on during this time of Ring of Honor, and that sort of helped things out a little bit more. So it, it sort of was, I wouldn't say it was like a super smart crowd, but it was sort of a nice mix. Like I always felt that the Ring of Honor Chicago Ridge show we're always a nice mix of your hardcore wrestling nerd fans, your wrestling purists, not John Walters, uh, and just, you know, people that wanted to see a nice little wrestling show, you know. And the, the one thing about the Chicago Ridge Show was it was a park district building, so they never had liquor sales. So it wasn't like you didn't have to worry about someone, you know, like shell, uh, shouting racial epitaphs during <laughs> anything, which is always good because that's that's obviously what happens when you guys drink booze. At least what, that's what my parlor accounts telling me uh but uh no i always i always felt that it was a nice mix uh what was funny is a bunch of my friends that i've met through the chicago wrestling scene are on this video a lot because they're sort of standing in the background by the the curtain that's over there so there was uh one of the notables is noted referee pj drummond who is one of my favorite like just in general one of my favorite wrestling historians and favorite wrestling people of all time and it was funny to watch these guys who i've you know watched many millions of hours this is before i became you know really good tight friends with all these guys but it was sort of fun to see people in the crowd be like okay i know that person from they're still going to shows that's great that's fantastic like that's something you have so it seemed like chicago was always a good time because it's honestly you know people talk about you know the the dawn of cm punk and the chicago scene the Chicago scene was Ring of Honor running in the Frontier Fieldhouse. Like, there might have been some small Chicago promotions. There was actually a promotion uh, run by Brian Zenner uh, called MCW Midwest Championship Wrestling that came about maybe 2002 that actually had a TV taping. And I'm, I, I know this is radio, so I'm actually doing the air quotes when I do this TV <laughs> taping uh, at the building, at the Frontier Fieldhouse. And he had guys like Daniels and Loki there and such. So, like, there wasn't a lot of really good wrestling shows that came to Chicago. But ECW knew that Chicago was a great wrestling town. They knew that Milwaukee was a great wrestling town. And they're so close to one another that you could get people from one town that would go down. Like I knew of at least, you know, 12 or 13 fans and some of them I'd sit next to at these shows that were like the Milwaukee bunch and such. So like I think Chicago was a great, smart wrestling crowd, but not too smart and never really took themselves that seriously. Has, this, has anybody run that Frontier Fieldhouse building in the past few years? Obviously, before the pandemic, um, like is that is that building still in, at, at all a part of the wrestling scene there? Not really, because it was always very expensive to run, and it was one of those things where you sort of are curious about how did I wonder what ROH paid back in the day. Uh, but uh, especially because I knew how sickening that bathroom would get after the shows, <laughs> and it's right by the locker room, and that's we were right by where the guys would shower up after stuff. So it wouldn't be uncommon to see, you know, someone in a towel that had wrestled a few <laughs> matches earlier going through the sickening bathroom of the Frontier Fieldhouse. So, <laughs> but it's something. It's something where I think I think we've looked. I mean, we looked into it a few times, and it didn't seem like that they were too hyped for wrestling. There was one point though. There was talk that. 
that NXT was going to run there, but that never really came to fruition. It could have been something where maybe the building just was like, they they were out-wrestled, they had grown up, they were done with it. So the last few times Ring of Honor has been here, they've run the Odium in Scenic Villa Park uh, because it's a bigger venue, and I believe they also offer the uh, beer sales, so you can yell those racial epitaphs at people. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we open this <laughs> oh, show. <God>. We <laughs> don't condone but... from the specter of racism. Uh, we we open this show with Austin Aries and Jack Evans backstage. Aries says that since final battle, where he became Ring of Honor champion, he's had to hear people say over and over that he got lucky, that it's a fluke that he beat Joe. It's a fluke he's champion. Aries says after tonight, no one will be able to not to deny to deny that he's the champion. Ari says Jack Evans is going to take Alex Shelley out tonight in their match, and then at the next show, Roderick Strong is going to return, and they're going to win the trios tournament. So, very short, brief promo, just basically saying, here's the booking for tonight and the next show with us. This is what we're going to do. And they really stressed that trios tournament a lot on the course of this show. And this was, like, this it, was, it was the, something... Like I say, this is the first ever mention of it, right, Trevor? Y- yes, I believe so. And um, I was actually going to mention this for the next show, but might as well mention it now. Um, the next show we'll be covering, the next one chronologically, of course, is that trios tournament. And even though it was a one-time thing for Ring of Honor, it was something at, initially that Gabe was hoping could be a regular thing. In fact, if you get the DVD, if you find that on eBay or whatever, of the of the trios tournament, it actually is not titled, you know, the Ring of Honor trios tournament. It's titled the Ring of Honor Trios Tournament 2005, you know, expecting it's going to be, you know, we're going to have 2006, 2007, 2008. There was one in 2006. Oh. It was a a lesser (laughs) one. It was was like a two-round tournament instead of like the whole show. But it did exist, and the show was named after it. Matt, you've done it again twice today. You corrected (laughs) me. If there's a third time, I, I have to leave the show. I mean... That's just what happens. Three strikes and we're out. I have but to. I have to. I have to admit during the trios talk because if it was a third time during the trios talk. That would have been just like the stars aligning right there. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's true. I have to. I have to admit, Trevor. I am very obnoxious. No, no. I. I am. <laughs> I am so thankful that you are here to. Uh, better to correct me now than have to do a correction on the next episode because our listeners they will they will correct us. So um, they will. Make Michael you guys Laney. Okay. Just stealing his hand right now. He he was so close to typing a tweet, correcting us, but uh, you foiled him, Matt. But <laughs> well, that's what I'm, I'm here for, <laughs> to stop him from sending emails. <laughs> <laughs> we hate emails. No, uh, seriously, we don't. We we enjoy them. Um, but there was two matches on the show that w- did not make it to the show. They are apparently on the, uh, the Do or Die 4 DVD release. And usually um, when we get matches like this and we have a guest on that was live at the show, we ask them for uh, thoughts on it. But I can tell you, despite the fact that the first match on the show was not on this release, it was a four-corner survival match between Lacey and she defeated Allison Danger, Daisy Hayes, and Tracy Brooks in 10 minutes, 48 seconds. I will not ask you, Keith, um, what your thoughts are, because I found, even though we were talking before the show, you couldn't find your notes for this show, your your online review. I did find your old PW Insider report for the show, and in fact, I'll quote back to you, didn't see this match as I was still trying to find a parking spot. So Yes, parking always around that building sucked, so <laughs> it was something where you had to get there like a few hours early and hang out in the parking lot like a delinquent, or, you know, the best thing about it was there was a park right next door, and what were you going to do, just go on the swing set for a few hours while your car was safe in there? So yes, it was, it was never quite easy to find parking around there unless you left really, really early. So 
you know. And this is this, this I believe though, if if you're you're talking about your Dr. Keith uh, Ring of Honor history, I believe this was the first time in Chicago that I was not sitting in the front row, which might explain why I don't remember the not sure the show at all until actually watching the show. And much like Tony Schiavone, that's when the memories came floating back in. <laughs> um. So that brings us to the first match we did actually get to see on this show. Um, Fast Eddie with Jimmy Raven, Prince Nana defeated Matt Seidel via pinfall in 10 minutes, nine seconds after he hits a tombstone pile driver. Uh, before the match gets started, Nana gets on the mic and he calls the crowd no teeth inbreds. He gets his usual loud shut the fuck up chant. Nana says they partied last night because Rave beat AJ Styles and tonight Rave is going to beat the common man, CM Punk. That smelly fool, Nana says. <laughs> I guess kind of giving you a hint of the finisher tonight, perhaps. Nana says, Punk smells like trash, looks like trash, and works like trash. And tonight, Rave is going to end his career. Nana praises Eddie and then he, Fast Eddie, and then tells him to go get the win so that they can. And I I wasn't quite sure, but I think he said, go party with P. Diddy. And um, I did not hear this during the mic work, but again, from some just devastating devastatingly handsome man who uh, did an online report, Dr. Keith Lipinski. He wrote that um, Prince Nana did a microphone performance in which he mentioned smelling the coffee and the riches of Ghana, which I, so I, I don't know if I noticed when I was uh, recapping the promo, but apparently he said that too. What do, rich, what um, do riches smell like? <laughs> well, they smell like coffee, obviously, because okay. of the huge – when you think about great coffee places, yeah. Columbia, Chicago Ridge, Guyana, West Africa, you know, it's it's one of the top three right there. You know, it makes sense. So, um, Matt, uh, this is the obviously the big blow-off to the incredible Matt Seidel Fast Eddie feud <laughs> that started the yes. very previous show, the one-match angle where, for those who did not listen to the last show – the Air Devils had a whopping one-match um, career. They won their match. Fast Eddie immediately turns on Matt Seidel and joins the embassy, leading to the very next night this impromptu – well, not impromptu, but they scheduled the match like between the days. Um, Matt, what did you think about the match? Um, I thought Eddie was better than I thought he would be. I, you know, I don't remember his heel run very much, but he was really trying hard. Like really leaning into this character, you know, he was, he was, you know, I'll have that that cocky smile on his face all the time. He's like strutting around the ring, acting all arrogant, playing to the crowd a lot, and he had some pretty good offense, honestly. And he plays to the crowd after like every single thing he does. Um, you know, just like a springboard body press and a power slam, and he gloats. He uh, he does this cool move where he presses Seidel over his head and then just drops him onto his knee like a backbreaker, like go to sleep style where he like lifts it, lifts it up and it, uh, Eddie wouldn't be able to do that move to too many guys, but I thought it was perfect for Matt Seidel because of his size. Um, uh, Eddie comes back. He comes, he has another cool backbreaker that Nolte says that Eddie calls the aftershock, which I mean, Hey, good on Mark Nolte for knowing a move uh, that, uh, that, you know, somebody does, some guy does before it was announced by another commentator. Um, and Gabe even says at one point, it's almost like when Nana buys someone, he injects them with a dose of arrogance, which I, I assume like, it means he's actually stealing from Rick Martel and <laughs> injecting that directly into the arm of a wrestler. 
Um, well, that's which, what's in the aerosol cans. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. I, also I, I got that as an aerosol can reference as opposed to everything else. Like, <laughs> it, I thought it was just more about scent, especially if you're a legally blind wrestler. You know, that, you should really use – obviously, your other senses sort of take over and imagine if you're smelling that arrogance. It's also just been approved by the FDA. Um, but it's being shipped all over the country right now. So Cold storage, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, some people, some people are afraid to get a dose of arrogance, but you know, I'm I'm all for it. Um, I'm asking. I want two doses of arrogance, please. Yeah. and also a, a big pin that says, "Hi, I am a model." <laughs> I mean, you could get that right now if you wanted to. Yes, I am oh, a model. Uh, um, where? Sorry, I, I have Etsy, um, but um, uh, Etsy dot com. Yeah. I am model pin. You son of a bitch. Okay, continue. <laughs> um, but uh, so. Um, um, Eddie, I mean, at one point, uh, Seidel does this, like, really, I thought really awesome cannonball splash from the top rope over the ring post to the aisleway onto Rave and Nana and Eddie. I thought that was really cool. Um, I, I thought it was weird. Like, Nolte keeps saying that Seidel is at a disadvantage if the match goes airborne, which is, like, almost like when he was saying that Homicide wasn't suited to brawl. Remember that when he would do that? Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. so ridiculous. It's like, do you? I mean, that's Seidel's whole thing. Um, but um, yeah, that, if I remember correctly, also wasn't that also the, the the homicide match, like a match against Nigel McGuinness, where he's like, yeah, you know, homicide's advantage is taking it to the ground in this match, not brawling. <laughs> yeah, he, he did it a few times, but this this was in in the same vein, and I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Um, but um, so Eddie does he he hits a power slam instead of his moonsault fallaway slam, and after the move, he kind of holds his stomach. Um, and I, I thought he might have actually been hurt on that, since it was a different move than he normally does, but he seemed okay, I guess. Uh, afterward, uh, they did that whole bit where Nana got on the mic, and Seidel got distracted, and like went over to Nana, and then that allowed Eddie to do his, his little like pick-up-by-the-arms tombstone for the win. And um, I, 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 I don't know, I thought that uh, Eddie, I thought Eddie's offense and his his heel work was pretty good. You know, it was kind of like he was trying very hard, and that was obvious. But I appreciated it. I thought Sidal's dive was awesome. Um, you know, the ending I thought felt a little awkward. Maybe it wasn't like a really good match or anything, but I'd say it exceeded my expectations for an opener between two guys that really weren't a part of the shows at all prior to that weekend. I, I thought they did all right, and I thought Eddie did all right. Keith, what did you think? I can tell you that in your live report, you were, you did get in in time for this match, and you called this match an awesome match. Did it live up to your memories? Ah, uh, yeah, it did. I thought this was a real fun match uh, because I thought where both guys were in the card was great. I mean, you guys got to remember, you know, I was a big part of the ROH board, and like I voted for the Air Devils, and when they split up after I'd spent that time to click on that radio button and hit submit, <laughs> like I felt some. I felt betrayed by Eddie, and uh, I, I this was a real fun match. Uh, one thing I really liked about this whole show, and one thing I really am going to uh, hope that other promotions, i.e., my promotion AW at AW Pro on Twitter, uh, w- one thing they did very well, I thought, was when the guys were coming out and coming to the ring, you could actually hear them sort of talking to the camera, and it was it's a small thing, but it works really, really well. Except for Matt Seidel. Now, Matt Seidel, obviously, you know, he was betrayed by his partner the night before. So he's, he's going into this as, as the babyface. So you think he will cut a nice oh. babyface pr- promo. 
Yeah. His words are, and I quote, I'm going to beat him. I have the better finisher and I have the better eyesight, <laughs> which I was just, I was blown away. I like, it made me almost giddy inside. Like, you know, because, you know, there was a long time in ring of honor where Matt Seidel was, you know, handsome, smiley Matt. Uh, and then he became a member of the embassy and he was even better and better smiley. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I really, really like this. I like the fact that Vordell Walker was mentioned on commentary. Uh, the dose of arrogance I thought was a good thing. Uh, this started though, a, an alarming tw- trend at the show where guys would just get on the mic whenever they felt like it. And as someone that's in production, I'm never really a big fan of this. Like when Nana got on, on the, the mic, you couldn't really hear anything he was saying because the announcers were saying it as well. The only thing I couldn't make up was women. Like, you know, like, you know, I think he was telling Fast Eddie to do it for the women. So, uh, you know, real good move. I, I sort of felt with that powerway slam, the way that Fast Eddie landed, I, I, I sort of felt the same way where I was just like, oh, that looked incredibly painful. But I, I thought those was a lot of fun, lots of back and forth. I think I think Fast Eddie was fantastic due to the fact that him, much like Jimmy Rave, had something that I, I that's very rare to see. But when you see it, it's gorgeous. He had an incredibly punchable face. Like just yeah. looking at him, I just wanted to punch him. Even though even though he might have disability or everything else, you know, even though he's with Prince Nana and his fantastic smelling coffee, like he just had that sort of like punishing type face. And I like the fact like that pile driver at the end was incredibly sick and incredibly fun to watch. So this was a I thought this was a really fun opener. Like this was something where, you know, I I, I think when a little thing clicks in wrestling, it's a great thing. And when the baby face <laughs> tells the guy that that, uh, that is that he has not only a better finisher, which I always I always felt that was like one of the silliest things around in wrestling where it's like, yeah, I got the best finisher around. It's like Okay, great. Like, you know, like, you know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin did the Stone Cold Stunner. He didn't sit there and tell you how he was the better finisher than the Tombstone Powell driver of The Undertaker, you know. And more importantly, Stone Cold never talked about, like, no one ever talked about Stan Hansen and his horrible eyesight in an All Japan promo <laughs> back in 1992, gentlemen. So, you know, I just, I, I enjoyed this. This was a fun match to start, and it just really set the tone for the rest of the night, except for the fact that, you know, like I, I sort of wanted to hear a little bit more of Prince Nana, what he was saying on the microphone, just because there was that one part where obviously if this is distracting somebody, like this is something that we need to know and need to hear. Yeah, th- that um, where Nana would get on the microphone when his when his uh, when his charge was losing late in a match, that was something he would did pretty frequently up to this point. Uh, he was he did it with Jimmy Ray, but. This is the first time I think he might have done it with anybody else, at the very least with anybody that I can remember that isn't Jimmy Rave. And yeah, like you said, the problem is generally, you know, Ring of Honor's audio systems and sound mixing. If if someone was talking on a house mic at the best of times when no one was trying to talk over them, it was like 50-50 that you were going to be able to make it out, let alone during a match when commentary is happening, when the crowd's really reacting. But, um... I thought this match was enjoyable. I thought it was above average. I probably didn't like it quite as much as either of you, but I liked it a fair bit. Um, it really felt more like a uh, just a showcase for Fast Eddie than uh, than it, than almost like a back and forth match. Although um, Seidel did get some moments to shine, I was kind of surprised by a couple of things. One, like you said, Matt, how um, Eddie was pretty uh, like good at being cocky. Like he was emoting a fair bit. Like it was almost like 
after most of his spots, he would take a moment to either just like say say something shitty or just kind of smirk or look to the crowd like he was always kind of trying to sell the character, which is you know for a guy that we've mostly just seen doing you know bit parts and crazy spot fest you did i didn't know he had that in them but he clearly has a bit of a charisma and ability to kind of ham it up a little bit um i liked early on he says air devils fuck that shit like i love that his 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 anger over a team that lasted one one match that they won uh-huh. or he was just mad still mad about the name one or the yeah. other <laughs> Well, you probably voted for one of the other ones that were on there. You know, like the Alkaline Duo, I think, was one of the ones that was suggested. <laughs> Man, I wish it was that. <laughs> it was a fine name. Um, and also, I, I was a little surprised that a lot of Fast Day's offense, at least in this match, you know, you think of him as a big high-flying guy, but a lot of it was more kind of power-based offense, like more like slams and stuff. Like you said, Matt, he did the gorilla press, dropped down to a backbreaker. He does like a cradle back suplex that looks very nasty in this match. He does, as you guys both mentioned, the... Uh, Normally his finishers the uh the moonsault follow a slam and here he rotates so it's more like a moonsault power slam and you guys thought maybe he legit hurt himself I actually thought the way I I thought about it was that he maybe he thought Seidel was going to like raise his knees and Seidel didn't and that he was because it came up to me like he was selling like oh you know he got me in the guts I'm crabbing my ribs and even Gabe like it, if you watch the spot even Gabe is like oh that move hits and then you see um Fast Eddie sell afterwards and it takes everyone a second to realize oh like I guess something went wrong because clearly Seidel does not get his knees up but clearly he's acting as if his midsection is in pain so that was a little bit of a weird spot at the end um and, of course, the biggest takeaway from this match is this is the match where I realized that uh, Fast Eddie really looks a lot like M- actor Miles Teller, star of Whiplash. I, 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 kept, I spent, like, the whole match trying to figure out, like, who's he look like? And I think it took me, like, two days, and finally it popped in my head. And it was, like, one of the best instances of relief I have felt in the last year that does not relate to discovering a vaccine or sitting on the toilet. So Wait, you, um, wait, you discovered the vaccine? No, the discovery of a vaccine, that made me feel oh, – I mean, I did a little bit of work in it, but not a ton. You and Dolly. Yeah. <laughs> Dolly funded – I chipped in like five bucks. Uh, it, was a, it was a GoFundMe probably. Uh, was there <laughs> well, anything else that I noted in the recap that should be mentioned? Because this is great because it's sort of like getting – it's sort of like talking to myself from 15 years ago, except like they're not asking me a bunch of questions about the future. I'll say your recap was pretty – it was. I've, I've read. I've read my share of Dr. Keith recaps before doing the show and now doing the show. And as I as far as your recaps go, this one was more to the point than some of your other ones. Maybe what? <laughs> I know why. I I absolutely know why. Uh, because of the fact that after the show that I went out with certain members of the talent brigade, we went to a bar in Chicago and my wife actually met up with us at that bar and she met a number of ROH notables. Uh, and I think we probably went home and I think she probably was sort of like, you know, you're not going to stay up till 5am writing a recap. And I was probably like, Oh no, no, no. And then I probably stayed up till six. So, uh, 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 well, I can give you even a little information there because I can tell you this, this article has been timestamped. It says it was posted at eight, 45 in the morning the next day so you clearly wrote this very early or overnight uh, um damn it god damn it. how are you still married <laughs> how uh, do you have kids? because i'm a pretty charming man so. can confirm can confirm oh, oh. 
you. So next up, we have the second match on the show that the second of the two matches that did not make the tape. Although, again, they if you look for the do or die Four DVD, apparently they will be there. Um, this match was the Ring Crew Express defeated. Let me just make sure I got the timing here. Defeated Delirious and Golden Vampire number 12 in nine minutes, one second. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent sure able to confirm this. It is not mentioned in Dr. Keith's report, but I am pretty sure that the gold golden vampire, some people in the report said golden vampire eight, some said 12. We'll never know for sure, but I am fairly sure this was a star ring of honor student, uh, Davy Andrews under a mask. Um, Keith, your report just says that, uh, that, uh, the match ended when Marcos did a senton off of Dunn's shoulders onto Delirious for the win. You called it a very good comedy match. So I don't know I if you have any memories past that, but well, I mean, we the Golden Vampire was something that was, you know, I, when you talk about Chicago, there might have not been a wrestling scene, but there's always been a Golden Vampire, and there's actually been a string of Golden Vampires. Uh, golden Vampire, of course. I think eight first made his appearance at IWA Mid South, uh, and I believe twelve, I think, actually came up from uh, like maybe the St. Louis territory. Maybe uh, I mean, I, I, I know that he definitely faced at one time was at wrestling with the Chase. But uh, the Golden Vampire was always a fun little gimmick that was done. Uh, Somewhere there is a, it might be a CM Punk versus Delirious match from uh, IWA Mid-South. I I think it went an obscene amount of time, but Golden Vampire and a number of other notables got involved. It's definitely worth checking out unless I totally messed it up because I'm old and forgetful. But uh, I could see this being an enjoyable match. I mean, I've always enjoyed the Delirious gimmick as long as he's not booking. Uh, So (laughs) I kid. I I love you, Hunter. You're my boy. Never forget that. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't remember much of this match, but I always love the Ring Crew Express. I mean, I just you can't really go wrong with two lovely headbangers that aren't uh, going to become Beaver Cleavage anytime soon. So <laughs> this seems like a nice match that, you know, sort of even out, especially after that first match. I only wish I knew what they were saying. The Ring Crew Express was doing in their promo on the way to the ring for this this match. So... <laughs> That brings us to the fourth match of the night, although the second on the DVD. That would be Alex Shelley defeating Jack Evans via submission in 13 minutes, 48 seconds, when he made Jack tap to what I would describe as basically almost like a stretch muffler, but without the leg over his own head. And instead, he just basically made Jack's foot touch his own back. And um, crazy, usual bendy Jack Evans stuff. So before this match, uh, Alex Shelley got on the mic. He said paybacks are a bitch and no one knows that better than himself because since final battle, when he got kicked out of Generation Next, he's been getting his ass kicked by the locker room, which he admits, though, I deserve this. Um, Shelley then offers Jack one more chance to align with him and to try and earn the respect of the locker room. Shelley offers his hand. Jack slaps him in the face. So instead, we get this match. Um, Keith, we should go. I uh, will go to you first, and I'll give you another yet another preview of Keith from the past. Um, you called this both a dandy with a tilt bang, and I believe you said that this was um, possibly your favorite match of the entire night. So, you know what? That 2005 Keith knew what the fuck he was talking about. I'll just tell you that right now. Because yeah, this I absolutely. 
love this match. I cannot say enough good things about this match. It definitely was dandy, all caps, till they bang and everything else, because this is so much fun. Jack Evans was so much fun back in those days. And so, so was Alex Shelley and these two guys together just made some fantastic magic. I mean, but the thing is though, you know, the 2005 Keith probably did not enjoy the commentary as much as I enjoyed the commentary where I think Mark, uh, Mark Nutley, starts talking about Aaron Burr for some reason or another. (laughs) And, you know, given the state of the world right now, and given Hamilton is available now on Disney Plus, which are, you know, who knew that an Aaron Burr reference in Ring of Honor in 2005 would become such a big hit that would inspire Lin-Manuel to actually watch this ROH show (laughs) and start doing a musical based on a commentary quote during it, talking about Aaron Burr being a man without a country. I was just glad that we had a history lesson here. You know what happened was... He heard Gabe act like he didn't even know who Aaron Burr was, and he was like, well, I know how to fix that, and he created the biggest musical of all time. Gabe Gabe knows who Aaron Burr is now. Yeah, he does. We all do. Not just because of this, but I mean, it was just while watching this, the whole thing was, my God, Jack Evans in 2005 absolutely rules. You know, he comes to the ring, he does his promo that he's business and he's going to make that paper tonight. I wish he would have said cheddar, but that's only my wire fascination sneaking in here. But then he refuses to dance. And what was funny about this, as I'm watching this, I'm actually getting tweets from Jack Evans where he still is planning his great revenge one day for the fact that I wrote a scene with him and the competitor known as the human tornado for wrestling society X, where they had a glorious dance off. And he still is very, he's one day he plans on getting his revenge on me for doing this. But yet in the show, they're asking him to dance. They want him to dance, and he does not dance. So I got to thinking, and maybe because of the fact that he didn't dance on the show was the impetus for me wanting him to dance, forcing him to dance, sort of putting it into his contract and sitting there writing into the script, there better be a dance because I want to see Jack Evans dance. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I mean, uh, I would think that, that Jack Evans would, would thank you for writing that dance off so he could show the showcase to the world on mm-hmm. on MTV his his amazing skills because you know he has mad skills i in my opinion mad skills you know this man yeah, yeah I, I like i absolutely loved Shelly stretching the crap out of Evans, and that will never, ever go old. Uh, there is a fantastic line on commentary, which uh, is done by Gabe. I'm, I'm so sorry, Jimmy Butler, or whatever his name is, where he sits there and says, I'm just watching this to see what happens next. Which was like, ah, uh, yeah, that's, I think, I think everyone that's watching the show wants to see what's happening next. But no, I kid. I, I, I honestly, I, I enjoy Gabe on commentary during these shows because I know how hard it is to write something and sort of get your announcers to clearly identify what's going on here. And then this way you have no one to blame but yourself. And more importantly, it also forces you to watch the show for a second time because a lot of times when you're writing a show, uh, you don't necessarily get to see what you actually did. And then once you're done with the show, you sort of want to forget about it and you might watch the show, 
But in this case, it's sort of forcing you to watch the show and take your notes on the show and sort of get an idea of what's on there. So, yeah, I, I, I actually really like Gabe when he was doing commentary on the show, you know. And more importantly, Jack uh, was there were people in the back row, a group of my friends that kept on telling Jack to die. And when he went up for the 630, he literally did the masturbating hand motion to them. So <laughs> I really got I got a huge ass kick out of that. But this was this was just so much fun. Like, I mean, you know, Alex, these both these guys are still wrestling today and they still are, you know, so much fun to watch. I mean, Alex Shelley is just such a great mat wrestler, really good with all the stretches. And he is a lot like Aaron Burr, who I learned about through professional wrestling and not through the wonderful <laughs> world of musicals. So, yeah. And then the other thing was they were talking about title petitions during this. And I, I always enjoy the fact, like, how do guys get title shots, you know, where it's not like necessarily a big top 10 or anything like that. It's just sort of, okay, okay, who's available? Okay, there you go. There's your title shot. Enjoy. So, but no, love the match. Love the, you know, love so much stuff about this love the finish because i mean it's just so many great near falls in this just so much fun like jack at times you know it was it was fun to watch get jack stretch but when jack was on offense that was fun as well just because there were times where he took bumps where i was just like i i wanted to take an ibuprofen or two afterwards myself just by watching him take that bump so yeah i i, I thought this was a lot of fun I, um this was a match where uh Lately, we on the run we've been watching on through the years. I mean, the last couple match shows, you know, we had the show, just the very last show, just an incredible Jack Evans performance that probably is one of the top five, top ten Jack Evans performances ever. Maybe the best. Matt, I don't want Matt to get angry at me because I remember Matt was like, "You what, top ten? I mean, it was fantastic. Um, and this was a match where I felt like, you know, if I had to do one of those hundred best wrestlers ever list which i always get intimidated by because i just feel like the people that do those are just like master nerds and i mean that in the best way and i don't have the <clears throat> the all-encompassing knowledge of every scene and every era but like i would have to put jack Evans in my top 100 wrestlers of all time he's just that entertaining and i would describe this match as like um this is this match is exactly what i expected it to be but you know that's a really good compliment because <clears throat> it's um alex shelley it's kind of the same kind of, I guess you would call it human torture porn match that Brian Danielson had with um, Jack Evans the year before at Survival of the Fittest, where a lot of the match is just stretching um, the hell out of Jack and bending him in ways you didn't think many human beings could bend their bodies. But I would say this match is different in the sense of it's longer and um, Shelly gives Evans offense, like more offense throughout the match. It's less of a squash. It's more of a competitive match. Like the, the word, the phrase I would use to describe this match is just right. Like most things in this match felt just right. Like, um, Evans, I felt like got just the right amount of offense. So this didn't feel like a squash, but it, he didn't go 50, 50. He got the, his comebacks at just the right times. And when he did get on, on offense, usually it was for things that, um, made sense because one flaw sometimes is in Jack Evans, as much as I love him is occasionally maybe because someone else calls a spot or something, he'll like transition to offense doing something that you don't really buy Jack Evans doing like with just throwing punches or doing like a big slam where here he was getting on offense with stuff like just flipping out of a move and reversing something or tripping a guy's legs and taking him down. And it was just, just so much fun. And, you know, Alex Shelley has very unique, um, 
submissions. And you, you see that here. I think he does a submission at one point that I would describe basically as a combination of a sharpshooter and a surfboard. Um, he puts Evans in a crazy bendy kind of reverse Boston crab. Um, there's a moment where, uh, Evans actually, I think he screams out Busaiku ni and uh, takes a big running start at Shelly. Shelly just sidesteps and, uh, and Jack takes a big flying bump to the floor. God bless Jack Evans. Um, and even Shelly goes to the air in this match. He does a big spinning dive from the top to the floor. So uh, even Shelly, I don't know if it was just, that's not something you see him pull out ever, all the time either. So I wonder if he's just like, you know, when you're, when you're in when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. When you're with Jack Evans, fly like Jack does. I don't know. Um, a little interesting note on commentary. Shelley at one point um, says his old catchphrase. Uh, you know, he has talent on loan from God, and he starts tuning up the band, going for a big super kick. But he's you know doing it Shawn Michaels setup style. And Gabe actually says he's mocking Shawn Michaels for stealing his catchphrase on a recent episode, I guess, of Raw or something. Apparently, Shawn Michaels said he had talent on loan from God. But the ironic thing is like. I mean, that phrase he stole from Rush Limbaugh, I have to imagine that, you know, maybe I'm making assumptions here. I'm betting that if Shawn Michaels lifted that from anybody, it was probably more likely to be Rush Limbaugh than 2004, 2005 Alex Shelley. Knowing what we know about about Shawn Michaels. Yeah. um, Is he on parlor yet? (laughs) I think the the Undertaker might be like the champion of parlor. No, I'm just kidding. Is that a parlor taker? Yeah, the parlor, <laughs> the, the the funeral parlor. Ah, yeah. nice. Yeah, I saved and, it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, like Keith mentioned, the, the other great moment on commentary where Matt, we've been tracking lately the 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 growing apparent disillusionment that Gabe clearly has on commentary towards Mark Nolte. He's getting fed up with them. And when when Nolte early on says, you know, that Alex Shelley's turned into the Aaron Burr of Ring of Honor, Gabe just kind of freezes and then he kind of goes in an irritated voice, who? Care to explain? And, and I just wrote my notes. Gabe continues to be so over Mark Nolte because it's, it's been like ever since we pointed out two or three shows ago and we were like, is it just us? It seems like every show since then, there's been at least one moment in every show where clearly like Gabe is just like, really, Mark, this bullshit again? Like, okay, what do you got to say? But uh, Matt, that aside, what did you think about the match? Um, well, Jack Evans is always a lot of fun. I, I don't think I quite like the match as much as you two, probably, because it couldn't ever live up to the tour de force performance from the night before. Um, and I thought maybe, maybe it peaked very slightly too early with some of Shelley's near falls. Um, then, like, Evans gets a few near falls, and I think, like, the crowd maybe was a little bit down after some of, like, the good ones from Shelley. But, you know, I love that there's always, like, in this era, new ways for, uh, for wrestlers to figure out how to bend and stretch Jack Evans. Um, just like, you know, like, Shelley was, like, at the ve- near the very beginning, Shelley was holding Evans in, like, a wheelbarrow position and just, like, stretches him backwards, which is, you know, some of these things are hard to picture, but that's basically what it was. He like he just he held him up by the legs and just like stretched him backwards. Um, he he was he had him in like a sharpshooter from the side that he turned into like a bow and arrow type thing. It's just so many wacky different things, and you know, a lot of it is Shelley because he's very creative with the holds. But a, a lot of it is just Evans that he's just like, yeah, just do do whatever you want to me. I think that's probably what what it was. He probably just said, yeah, I can do I can do whatever. Um, so bendable. Um, 
but no, I, I mean, it was it was still a lot of fun. Um, Shelley, like I agree with both of you. Shelley's still really good, and he was really good then. And Evans was, you know, such a unique talent. I'm I'm really surprised in retrospect that he wasn't snatched up by by someone uh, with national television sooner than than he was. I um I, I'm I'm not really sure why. I guess maybe his his clothes and his body type. Um, but he was like, I mean, I do think he would have gotten over pretty big, even at that time, if he was, if he joined WWE, for example, um, you know, they probably would not have totally let him be himself, but I think he could have done enough and he had enough of a personality that he could have gotten over. I don't know. What do you think? I think it was a dance off that sort of killed any sort of <laughs> WWE dreams that he had, that he will eventually have his revenge on me for. And then eventually one day when there's sort of the making of a murder uh, about the Jack Evans, Keith Lipinski case, uh, I think this, this will actually become audio testimony if you believe that or not. So, uh, no, it, 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 you got to remember though, that after this, like, you know, Jack ended up spending a lot of time in Japan with Dragon Gate and such. And then, you know, sort of after the Dragon Gate years, he was down in Mexico a whole lot. So, like, I think he wanted to be where he felt the action was at that time, where he necessarily couldn't see himself in one of the bigger companies, you know? So it's, it's one of those things where I think though, that the pay, the road that he's paved now has led to him having, you know, a nice little Renaissance and some time in AEW. It might not be the Jack Evans of old. I mean, cause he definitely is definitely in better shape that he is now. And we don't know necessarily how bendy he is, but in that match that he had with the bucks, uh, that, uh, the hybrid had against the bucks a few, few weeks ago was, was still great fun and still there's shades of jack evans of old in there even though it's 15 fucking years later so yeah it's jack evans is one of those wrestlers where if he ever looks starts looking like noticeably i mean he looks a little bit older but if he ever starts looking really old that's going to be like one of those depressing passage of time things for me because they're just some people you kind of just always want to picture them as being like 23 years old and he's one of them for for um, me, for me the, the the big marker I knew when I finally was getting old is when um, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune were no longer on at the same time slots back to back with the same hosts that they were when I was a little kid, and now it has finally happened. Um, R.I.P. Alex Trebek, <laughs> but but no, but just but seriously, like that was always the thing. I was like, well, I'm never going to truly feel old until that happens, and, and here we and, are. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Matt, um, I also wanted. I, <laughs> I, I, now I'm sad about Alex Trebek, but uh, uh, I've been watching a lot of Double Dare, by the way, the great Alex Trebek game show that only lasted one season in the 1970s. YouTube bad folks. Anyway, um, I think people so, are going to find like the Nickelodeon version of Double yeah. Dare, yeah, yeah, though, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah, you should also definitely check show. out as well, like the 80s version, please. But um, so there. Uh, Matt, first I wanted to say I thought you made a great point actually where I do think this uh, is a good early example of something that Ring of Honor and a lot of wrestling would come to do a lot in the next 15 years, which is they would kind of overshoot the peak of the match because there is that moment where um, Shelley's go- um, no, uh, Evans is going for a big dive from the top rope. Shelley avoids it, hits the super kick, and he gets a near fall where surprisingly, because I don't think Shelley like won matches with the super kick, it's like a huge near fall and they – Jack kicks out and they keep going for like another minute or two. And it's one of those moments, like, like you said, where the crowd, you know, they're still into it, but they're never quite that high. It's one of those little moments where you go, man, you know, if you could just rewind, you know, the match a couple of minutes, you probably would want to end it there just because 
that was such a, a loud reaction for that. But the only other thing I want to mention about this is, Matt, we, we talked about just how great Jack Evans' performance was the night before. So, like, a great double shot for him. This, again, was like one month after he had to miss a Ring of Honor show because in a match with Super Dragon where he wrestled his Blitzkrieg 2, he landed on his head and was hurt to the point where they had to stop the show, uh, get an ambulance to the building, and he had to spend, I think, the night at the hospital. And here he is like a month later, and you would never know it. And, you know, he's been back for three shows now, and he's still taking the craziest bumps. He's taking the biggest risks. I mean... Just it's again, it's just a stunner that he's still around being Jack Evans 15 years later when, you know, uh, just stuff like that. Like it's it's insane to me. I guess that that bendability probably spoke to like some sort of physical resiliency that he has, obviously, because he is still around. Um, there are a couple other things that just like very minor funny things. Um, at one point, uh, Shelly uh, hit his, uh, his, his shell shock and Gabe goes, I think Shelly's in shock that Jack Evans kicked out of the shell shock. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of a tongue twister right there. A little bit of a alliteration going on. And there was another moment where the crowd, I guess they were chanting die, Jack, die. But yes, I really thought friends. they were, I really thought they were chanting fly, Jack, fly until Gabe said that the fans are voicing their hatred for him. And then I'm like, oh, I guess it must not be fly. But that's what it sounded like to me and i kind of wish they were chanting that because that would be fun i'm sending a strongly word text message to my friends right now that were chanting die Dad, jack die so it said fly jack fly <laughs> god damn it so so uh after shelly's victory out comes austin aries and the two immediately start brawling until jack evans joins in uh, aries hits the brain buster on uh shelly as the crowd chants for samoa joe to come out aries then sandwiches shelly's arm between two chairs and evans does a 630 onto the chairs but it looks like he lands on his own head and i don't know if this was um selling or legit uh, him braining himself for the second time in two months but you can see the ref checking on on jack and jack looks out of it so i don't know if that's a sell or what but he's wobbly and like acting like whoa and um so as this is as he's reacting this way aries cuts a quick promo about this is what happens to people who disrespect the champion and this is what's happening to samoa joe tonight evans finishes with his usual and you know this man but I mean, I don't know if this was legit or not, but I mean that landing was legit. He did he came down on his head. So rough rough couple of months for Jack Evans in that sense. Um next up, ring announcer Dave Prazak introduces Colt Cabana, who comes to the ring and gets a welcome home chant from his hometown crowd. Colt says when you think of Chicago, <clears throat> you think of Al's beef, of Geno's East, and of Colt Cabana. He says, when you think of great Chicago talk shows, you think of Oprah Winfrey, and that gets lots of booze from yeah, Chicago. Wow. Danny Bonaducci gets booed almost as much as Oprah. And he says, but then you should also think of Good Times, Great Memories. And he says, yes, it's a live in-ring Good Times, Great Memories. Colt introduces his guest, which is Bobby Heenan. He calls him the greatest manager today and a WWE and WWF Hall of Famer. Heenan comes out and gets a big Bobby Heenan chant, but he cuts them off and says he wants a weasel chant, which he gets. Uh, Bobby talks about breaking into, into the business in Chicago, and he mentions a bunch of legendary wrestlers and local buildings. Um, he then puts over the Ring of Honor, which it's the great, um, you know, there's that old thing in religion, the shibboleth, which is, you know, proof that you actually believe in a religion by knowing to pronounce a complicated word. I always see that Ring of Honor, if you call it the Ring of Honor, that's the shibboleth of if you actually, like, 
know the company and care about it or not. If you call it Ring of Honor, you probably get it. If you call it the Ring of Honor, you're clearly just like, yeah, I got to put over this company that I've been paid for tonight. Or your your Bret Hart. Or your Bret Hart. I I thought about Bret Hart. That was my thing about how Bret Hart always referred to it as the WCW. And the SummerSlam. (laughs) And the SummerSlam. Not not the the WCW at the SummerSlam, but pretty much, yeah. The Starcade, um, I'm pretty sure he said. <laughs> the the sin. Oh, no, he wasn't on sin. So, but if he, if he was, he would have referred to it as the sin rather than seed. <laughs> the greed. And um, so he says. Heenan says that they're going to. The Ring of Honor is now going to skyrocket because they give the people what they want. It sucks that is often the case. You can't hear a good quarter of what's being said over the house mic during this promo, which is the whole reason Bobby is here, other than just you know, showing up and doing a couple spots. He then ends by thanking the fans and calling Ring of Honor the greatest promotion in the business today. We get a big thank you, Bobby chant, when out comes Jim Cornette with Dan Moff and BJ Whitmer. Uh, Cornette tells the crowd to shut up to draw some immediate booze. And then he says he's been sick with the flu all week, which I, I sounded like his, the way he was saying, I, I, I assume that was actually true because it doesn't really play into anything. But he sure does uh, have a crowd- lot of energy. <laughs> Yeah, the crowd understandably chants, shut the fuck up at him, so very sympathetic to uh, Heenan's, I mean, uh, Cornette's plight. Heenan gets on the mic and he tells the crowd that we've got children in the crowd. And uh, this is actually, without being a storyline, maybe a little um, hint of what's to come, because I guess giving away something that happens in the future, Heenan does continue to work for Ring of Honor for a little while longer, and he eventually stops working for them, and the reason he at least gives is that CM Punk cut a promo with too much profanity in it, and it was in front of kids, and he didn't like that, so Heenan already showing his, you know, even here acknowledging like, hey, there, there's kids in the crowd. Um, Cornette says the there may be children here, but they don't know who their fathers are, which is a little <laughs> bit of a heavy hit on a that's lot a, of different. That's people. a fantastic line, though. If you it, know it's, it's, a good, it's a good, heel, it's a good, it's a good heel line. I have to, I have to give it to him. So he he says, uh, Cornette says, if you switch the C in Chai Town to an S, you almost have it. Uh, Cornette recaps what happened the last time they faced off in Ring of Honor. He then asks again, why does Cornette care so much about him and his career? Cornette then has a tantrum and says how, you know, he doesn't want to live in Keenan's shadow. Basically, a lot of the notes in this promo repeat what they did their first time they met off in uh, Ring of Honor. Cornette says that the last time they faced off, he underestimated Heenan, but this time he has a tag team that he knows can get the job done. He's going to humiliate and destroy Heenan with Moff and Whitmer. Cornette tells Heenan to find two guys to face them. Heenan gets mad and takes off his jacket, says he already has a tag team. Colt Cabana's one half, and in slides Nigel McGuinness to be the second. Immediately they start brawling. Um, Heenan yells for the bell to be rung. Cornette begs for an hour to prepare, but it's too late. The match is on. Uh, the ref starts doing a count-out tease, which is weird because Ring of Honor actually doesn't have count-outs unless it's pure title matches. Cornette gives excuses for why they can't wrestle right now. Uh, Heenan says it's okay if Cornette doesn't want to have this match right now, but everyone will know he's yellow, that he's chicken. The crowd stands chanting chicken shit. Cornette screams to Moff and Whitmer that he's had dinner with Vince McMahon and flown <laughs> with Ric Flair, and he's not going to let people call him chicken shit, which seems like, I don't know how you connect point A to points B and C, but like, I've had dinner with Vince McMahon, you can't call me a chicken shit, like, I don't know, I guess maybe you need some degree of brave. Yeah, I'd be too, I'd be too scared, I'd be too scared to have dinner with Vince McMahon, I have to admit. But, um... Oh, I get it, and yeah. flown with Ric Flair because of plane crash, I get it, okay. 
Oh, uh, that leads us to the the match, which is a non-title match. So the tag titles did not change hands here. Colt Cabana and Nigel McGuinness with Bobby Heenan in their corner defeated BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff with Jim Cornette in their corner in 16 minutes, 34 seconds, when Colt pins Moff with a small package. Um, Matt, you know, even though there's three of the four wrestlers are um, different than the match that Cornette and Heenan's teams had at All-Star Extravaganza 2, this felt very similar to me. Uh, what did you think about the whole package here? You know, the, the big pre-match promo, the match, what'd you think? The, the whole thing was a lot like the previous, I mean, the promo I'd say was even more similar than the match in that, you know, the way that Bobby came out, he was very earnest. Then Jim Cornette came out raining on his parade through a tantrum. I will say Cornette was way more over the top here. I feel like than he was in the first match, just like screaming and hollering. He used a, uh, a homophobic slur against the crowd in Chicago. He was just jumping up and down, throwing tantrums. Like he was, he like he must have been like, okay, I just had the flu. Now I need to show that I'm still alive or something to himself or something. Because <laughs> he was just, he was just on a like, just in rare form here. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I had the one. Th- okay, so this was fun. But the one thing that I thought was weird is, you know, and maybe I should just think of it in terms of its own thing, not really part of the context, but Moff and Whitmer just being total full-on heels the way they were here. Um, you know, they hadn't been heels in months, you know, probably at least since um, the end of the Second City Saints feud, if not earlier than that. Um, they, they hadn't been heels. So I, I don't know. I thought it was, it was kind of... Um, it was kind of disorienting for me to see them being such heels. But, you know, the match itself, a lot of wacky stalling, um, a lot of, um, a lot of, um, you know, like little, like so Nigel was doing crowd pleasing British escapes. Um, at one point, um, like, uh, Bobby Heenan was holding, uh, BJ Whitmer's hair so Colt could punch him and Gabe says that he's just having some fun and I, and I love that it was like that's like classic babyface commentator where you have complete double standards for heels and babyfaces where if a heel did that he would be completely appalled but because a babyface is doing it he says he's just having some fun um and then like there was, there was even a spot where um BJ almost punches Cornette and Colt does a double noggin knocker on both of them while Moff like does this over the top like reaction on the outside um, you know, um, what, what happens? Uh, Gabe, uh, Gabe has to let the audience know that Heenan slipped Colt to chain because you really can't see it on camera. Um, and then Moff calls everybody to the outside and yells like, we need to get our shit together. Like, just like really over the top. Like, it's just like a total, like wacky, goofy thing for the first, I don't know. I don't know. How long was the match altogether? 16 and a half minutes. So for, pretty long, actually. Yeah. So I'd say for at least the first 10 minutes. It's total wackiness. Um, there's even a moment where um, Nolte says that there was a, there was footage of Heenan versus a midget in Chicago, and Gabe goes, "I'd like to see that." And I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like, "What? Well, okay, well, you know what? Let's make it happen. I think we could still get Gabe that footage." Um, but um, Nigel, I noticed this. Nigel does the first time he does like a lariat with 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 like by holding the arm like kind of like a rainmaker style thing because like, that would become a major part of his repertoire later on i think this is the first time i remember him like incorporating a big lariat into a match like that um but you know um colt does gets a hot tag after a long time of nigel getting worked on he uh he does his springboard moonsault he does a, a missile drop kick on moff 
Um, Cornette goes to hit Cabana with the racket, but Cabana moves and he hits him off. Heenet sneaks up behind Cornette and hits him with brass knuckles. Then Cabana comes in and hits and whacks Moff with the racket and gets the win with a small package. Um, I think that I like the first one more, maybe because of just more novelty. And, you know, Jack Evans probably was also a part of it. Um, and I think uh, Cornette and Moff and Whitmer laid it on really thick. But I think this would have probably been a whole lot of fun for a live crowd. Like, I think because we saw the first match, this the novelty of this was kind of not there as much. But, you know, for if you're in Chicago and it wasn't there for All-Star Extravaganza, and I don't know if the DVD was even out yet, this was probably a whole a whole heap of fun. Yeah, I, I agree a lot. There are three matches on this show that I would say are examples of something that I try and keep in mind when I review shows for the podcast, which is like, I realize there are people that listen to the show that are, like watch all the shows along with us. And there are people that watch the shows a long time ago, but they don't, they're not rewatching them. And there might be people that even pick and choose shows or matches to watch. So I, when I do reviews, I always try and keep in mind, like, am I in like, how, how's my review influenced by context? In other words, because we're rewatching every show in order, like sometimes some things are better because of that. And some things are worse. And I think there was three matches on the show. I can point to as going in different directions based on that. And this is one where I feel like, yeah, like this was all quite similar to the, uh, the, the first Cornet Heenan tag at all-star extravaganza too. But like you, like Matt said, I think it was even like more goofy and it leaned further into the comedy and shtick. And I thought it was good, but for, because I had recently rewatched the first one, I felt like a little bit of, you know, it didn't hit quite as hard. And I get, and Matt, I completely agree. I, I also think it's just part of the charm of the first one too, was knowing you were watching this cool little, little moment in wrestling history of it's the first time Cornette and Heenan ever faced off in their entire wrestling career. And, you know, the second time's never going to feel quite as special. I know they tried to lean into the idea of it's, you know, Bobby Heenan, Chicago homecoming. And the crowd sounded like they were having a great time and it was enjoyable, but it was just for me a bit too much of the same thing. And, uh, again, the last point is another. You basically had a lot of my same thoughts, Matt. Um, I felt like it was a bit weird in the sense that De- Moff and Whitmer, they just did a match the night before where they killed two guys, you know, and Delirious and uh, Jimmy Jacobs. And they really tried to push them as, you know, they're starting this new terrain as like the most serious, scary ass kickers. And this match, they're basically, you know, the wackiest version of the Midnight Express. They're doing all that shtick. They're doing the huddle up with Cornette, you know, and it's one of those matches where the wrestlers kind of just sacrifice their personalities and their booking. And they just, you know, they're basically chess pieces for Cornette and Heenan to have their, their fun thing. And that's great for once, but when you start doing it two or three times, it starts feeling like, uh, the wrestlers are kind of coming off as a bit like meaningless compared to the managers, which again, I'm I'm completely happy with that for one special match, but yeah, I, I agree. It was a little weird all of a sudden seeing Moff and Whitmer just really stooging it up, for, you know, for the benefit of Cornette because I'm sure Cornette wanted to do all these classic, you know, spots that you would see in '80s Crockett or Smoky Mountain Wrestling. But right, overall. Right. Even the countout spot, by the way, like we're like I'm sure what happened was like he suggested the countout thing, and they were like we don't have countouts, and he was like who cares, and they were like yeah you're yeah. right who cares, and we said let's just do it anyway, you know when and he's right you know who cares, uh, you know there, there's some funny comedy you know Colt even does a thing where um 
you know, Todd Sinclair shoves Cornette down. Then Cornette, I mean, Cabana holds Todd Sinclair back and warns him like he's the referee. And, you know, and so the, you know, that, that's a, that's a little description of like basically how like sticky this match could be, so to speak. So Keith, uh, before I get Europeans, I'm going to get, go to past Dr. Keith because I'll note that past Dr. Keith, very enthusiastic about this whole show. This was about as muted as he got in his praise. So this might, might have been wow. one of your least favorite matches of the night. He, uh, first off for the opening, uh, promo bit before the match, he called, you called it, um, good, but not anything you hadn't seen or heard before with he didn't talking about the wrestling history in Chicago. And then for the match itself, you, um, said, I uh, just see here, blah, blah, blah. Cabana does some awesome comedy. Nigel and BJ work well together. Decent match. And there was decent interactions between Heenan and Cornette. So Lots of you, decency there. Yeah, you were very enthusiastic. So for you on this show, a decent was about as low as you got. So looking back, I mean, maybe now having not seen this match probably in quite a while, how did, is it just decent now or was it better? Uh, I thought it was fine. So I'm going to sit there. The fine is a little bit above decent. The match itself, I didn't really find anything special with it. Uh, one part of it, I, I got excited because someone, before I'd watched this match, someone tweeted about Nigel. I think it was uh, a luminary known as Words, uh, not Joe Sposo, uh, said something about Nigel using the iron gimmick that he had and punching Flip Gordon in the face. So when Nigel came out, I was like, oh, God, I hope Nigel has the iron. But he didn't. So that no. sort of took away my disappointment uh, and sadness. But uh, I absolutely love Jim Cornette in this. Like, no matter what Jim Cornette says and what or Jim Cornette's feeling about the business, uh, and the only part of Jim Cornette I love is his anti-Trumpness stance right now. But uh, he was so fun to watch during this, like him just totally just getting crazy and just literally such a passionate motherfucker about professional wrestling. Like that lovely shade of red that his skin got while cutting this promo was fantastic. The fact you referred to it as our precious little Chicago gave me goosebumps. And, and the line about the eating dinner with Vince McMahon and flying on an airplane with Ric Flair like totally popped me. Uh, I think the Heenan thing was sort of a, I want to say that he had, he showed up in an IWA Mid-South show I was at and he sort of did the same exact promo. Like yeah. I, I, I don't think it was exactly to it, but I mean, it was Highland, Indiana, so it was literally, you know, it was a half hour away from the Chicago Ridge building, and that might have been done a little bit sooner. So, I mean, I've always been, I absolutely think Bobby the Brain Heenan is one of my favorite wrestling managers of all time. Just the wit and witticism of Bobby Heenan is great. Here, you didn't necessarily get that, but it was good to see him, you know, mix it up, take off his jacket, hit the brass knuckles. The match wasn't anything to you know, to write home about, you know, and it was something though, where it definitely seemed like a touring match than anything else for the fact that you could have done this in, you know, at all-star extravaganza two, and then done it here. And those people potentially the DVD was just out that night. So it wouldn't be like you would see it there. You know, I don't know that to be a fact. And I don't know if my review from 2005 also gives that information. So one thing I really, really like though, was, uh, you know, they definitely made uh, Cornette said something to Dave Prezak, who had uh, some nice bleach bond hair, uh, where he was getting on the mic to give the mic back to Prezak, saying that he should have sued his hairdresser 
for the blonde <laughs> hair. So I really enjoyed that. And then Nutley mentioned that Cornette might need paramedics because he was getting so red. And this was a perfect opportunity that Gabe mentioned that uh, Shelley was being checked. His arm was being checked by paramedics right now. So uh, the only other note that I had about this was, you know, here you have Cornette and Heenan on opposite times. It was a perfect time to plug their joint shoot available at ROHwrestling.com. So it was one of those things where it's sort of like, yeah, these guys are villains, but hey, if you want to hear them talk together, this is what you want to do. It like almost felt like a Mean Gene nine one hundred nine hundred number one, but uh, but I, I I enjoy I enjoyed the match, but it was nothing special. Uh, I believe this was all. I think the Observer at the time said this was uh, even though Heenan was booked for future shows, this was Cornette's uh, last scheduled booking in Ring of Honor for a while because he kind of came back because he just wanted to do the stuff with Bobby Heenan. I think one thing, Matt, we talked about this a little bit, and I wonder, Keith, what you think is um, – because you kind of touched on it with the IWA Mid-South thing. The one thing that I thought was a uh, – I don't know if it, uncomfortable is even the right word, but like how Jim Cornette and Ring of Honor treated Heenan was great. They gave him a lot of respect and really built him up. But the one thing that was has been weird watching both of these shows is like kind of what you said. It felt like Heenan – you know, he had just recovered from some pretty severe uh, cancer that he would continue to have health issues uh, health issues for the rest of his life. And clearly his speech was a little bit affected, and he was, I think, 60 by this time. But, like, Cornette was peak Cornette, and Heenan either wasn't quite up to it or wasn't treating any of this like, you know – it was the most important thing. Like to, when you watch both of these ring of arm matches, this feels like a very special thing for Jim Cornette. This doesn't necessarily feel like it's very, uh, an incredibly special moment for, for Bobby Heenan. And it, it's kind of a weird mix, especially when it's like so many of these angles are built around selling like, Oh, Bobby Heenan out dueled Cornette, Cornette, you know, Heenan outsmarted Cornette again. But when you watch like the performance, it's like vintage level Cornette and a, you know, past his prime, clearly has gone through some shit, just happy to see the crowd and maybe get a payday, Bobby. And it's a bit of a weird mix that makes me feel a little weird watching it at some points. But at the same time, Matt, you didn't have to see Bobby Heenan after he had his jaw removed. Like when he like I remember seeing him at a wrestling convention where like it looked like look completely different. So for that aspect of it, it was nice to see Bobby Heenan. It might have not been Bobby Heenan from Superstars in nineteen, you know, eighty nine, but it was still, you know, Bobby the Brain. So Yeah, well, I'm also, really glad to sorry. Well go on that. Also, part of it is just, you know, in his prime, he was never a babyface. And, you know, that's, that's not true that's not what he's known for. So that was probably part of it as well. Yeah, but we knew true. that Cornette could outperform and run circles around him. So might as well have Cornette be the heel sort yeah. of like that and have Bobby be the face here. So absolutely, I get it. Absolutely. When you're, when you're doing so, a, a manager promo, being the, being the heel is what you want to be. And so after the match, the crowd chants title shot because, of course, this was a non-title match. Uh, Heaton has Cornette's tennis racket. He just tosses it to the floor. He gets on the mic to thank the crowd. He asks the crowd to patronize the Ring of Honor from now on. Bobby and the crowd chant Ring of Honor to start to end the segment. That brings us to the best of five match series, Falls Count Anywhere. This is match three. 
Brian Danielson defeats Homicide via pinfall in 19 minutes, 36 seconds with the Regal Plex. So Danielson saves himself. He, he was down two to none. If he had lost this match, he would have been out. Uh, I thought this was a very good match. This was kind of bordering if I was going to throw stars at, at four stars around for me. Um, maybe the best match of their three-match series so far. I still think my favorite match they've had in Ring of Honor up to this point was their first one uh, in 2004. But... This was a re- a really good crowd brawl. Um, it was also interesting because basically they had done a lot of crowd brawling before this this match. I, in both of their first two matches in the Best of Five series, they had done crowd brawling. They had done crowd brawling after the shows in two different DVDs. So, like in a way, like in some ways, this match doesn't crowd brawl as much because they tease going outside the building, which they had done in multiple segments on recent shows. They don't leave the building here, although, of course, I think the Frontier Fieldhouse is probably the biggest building they had brawled in, and they do cover quite a bit of distance. And um, I think one thing I really liked about this match was they did a fair bit of brawling in the crowd. But they also did like a bunch of wrestling moves, but I think they kind of interspersed the brawling and the wrestling moves so much that you didn't feel like they were just having a wrestling match in the crowd. And in fact, like a lot of the moves that they did do in the crowd were kind of cool to see outside of the ring. Like they do a rolling small package spot on the floor. Um, Danielson does the airplane spin on the floor. And instead of doing the thing where he gets dizzy and runs into a turnbuckle, he gets dizzy and runs into a wall of the building. He, um, does the surfboard on the floor. Um, Homicide does a love magistral cradle on the floor. So all those things, it's like you add those moves and just add the words on the floor. It gets like an extra 15% bump for novelty. It's like, Ooh, this move on the floor. It, it was just fun. Um, the move, the match eventually goes back into the ring for the final few minutes. So ironically, the false count anywhere match doesn't end, you know, in the crowd, but that's often the case because you still want to have a finish that the entire crowd gets to see. Um, Smokes interferes in the final few minutes, but even that didn't bug me. Sometimes it's been getting on my nerves, but not this match because I felt like it was a way to try and maybe fool the crowd into thinking that, you know, Danielson could lose, you know, three and O and the series could be over. And of course, Danielson, you know, is able to, he gets his arms held late in the match by Smokes. He dodges out of the way. They collide. Danielson gets the win, so he gets to foil him. Um, Homicide does a real bad cattle mutilation in this match. He, uh, he can't hook the hands. And it's like, made me wonder, like, would I even be able to hook the hands? Because it seems, it's one of those moves that doesn't seem that hard other than the bridge. But, like, Homicide had the bridge. He just, for some reason, couldn't hook the hands. Um, overall, though, I, I really like this match. It's just a good crowd brawl. I think the only mistake problem with the with the crowd brawl would be and this is a lot of indies have this problem is the cameras and the lights have a real hard time following the brawl and so a lot of the times in crowd brawls you lose half of the action and here the cameras did a pretty good job of keeping it with the action but there are chunks of this match that are wrestled in like brown gray because the lights just can't reach or and um keith uh, what do you think about the match and also as a guy who you know runs a indie promotion like how much experience do you have with the idea of like crowd brawls and false count anywhere? Like, does that ever worry you from both like shooting it and also just the idea of like even liability? Cause we called a recent Danielson homicide match that went into the crowd where they nearly got the show canceled halfway through cause they bounced into a guy. And I imagine, especially on like a show's 
where you're dealing with like indie level security and don't have maybe a fleet of lawyers to defend you. Like there's probably some extra like nervousness anytime wrestlers go into a crowd. There is, especially because independent wrestling, you know, back in the glory days, i.e., you know, a few years ago, was the crowd shows would get so crowded that you wouldn't want them fighting out there. Like, and then the other thing is the fact that if you have a building that's tight already and people are fighting out there, it's sort of hard to see the action. And I always thought false count anywhere matches, unless the bill, unless the room was big enough, were just you know, especially if they take so much time out there, people are going to feel ripped off. Like people will like if something happens right next to them, and as long as no Nobody gets hurt. So there's so many issues with doing, you know, I, I love a good false count anywhere match, but I enjoy it when there's video cameras there to sort of see all the action that night though. They fought, I mean, they fought basically, I think in every area, they even teased going outside to the park that's right next to the venue, which I would have, you know, who wouldn't want to see homicide, like doing like a, a face wash while going down a slide. Like that would have been majestic, <laughs> majestic uh, watching right there. But it was sort of hard for them to keep track of where everyone was. I think at one point they stopped doing the commentary due to the fact that, you know, they're worried about the people, you know, they're, <laughs> they're worried that they're going to get hurt, even though people know that they're probably not doing the commentary live as they're yeah. sitting there right now. But, hey, we want to make sure we're not getting hurt. Well, you don't see us at all during any course of the show. It's not like you see us next to, you know, Mary Kate and Mary and Dave, the nature boy, Dave Prezak and everyone else that's out there. Like the, the illusion is there that they are doing it live, but then they just, they decide to start doing commentary again. And and part of me is I, I, I wish they would have done commentary a little bit more to explain what was going on there. But I'd love the fact that you get a feel that people are happy. Like, Hey, look, this wrestler is doing a move right by me. Homicide's trying to backslide right over here. You know, I like the fact that when falls kind of anywhere, Matches, people are predispositioned that it's going to eventually end the ring because, as you mentioned before, people will see this. So yeah. I, I was very happy, though. This was the first match on the DVD of the show where no one got on the mic at all during the show. So that part <laughs> of it I liked. However, I could hear, because not having the commentary there, you could hear a lot of the, the, the ta- taunts that J-Train was giving for us, you know, like where I believe at one point – uh, he repeated to homicide multiple times for homicide to, and I quote, kill this N word. That's my yeah. notes. That's not actually <laughs> what he said, but like, it was something where it was just like, Whoa, uh, one thing as great as Chicago is, uh, you know, dragon does the, uh, does the airplane spin, they count, but then he reverses the airplane spin and they don't count backwards. And I, I sort of give the Chicago c- uh, crowd like a negative two points for that because that would have been, you know, very entertaining, very en- enjoyable. I did like the fact that they talked about the brawl that they had at the end of the last Dayton show and talked about how Dayton's finest were involved and they got fined for the show. They did not get paid for last night's show. And more importantly, they got fined by Dayton's finest, which I would have loved to see some documentation on that, guys. <laughs> but wouldn't you love to see like, the citation by the city of Dayton, Ohio, Island towards D. Enzo and, and, and Brian Danielson. Wouldn't that be fun times right there? <laughs> but uh, but this was fun. I mean, the thing was, you got to remember that, and they mentioned it on commentary, that the first Ring of Honor show in Chicago had Homicide upsetting da- Brian Danielson in a match where a lot of people, I remember being there and being surprised that that was the finish. So, But I, I thought this was a fine Falls Count Anywhere match. I think it was shot good. It was just like, 
when do you decide to be off commentary? Was it something where they were shooting commentary much like me right now? I've had to pee for a half hour, but I wasn't like, sorry, guys, you guys are going to have to do this without my commentary right now because I have to pee. No, I'm a true professional. I'm going to sit here just hopefully not going to douse myself with urine while we're recording this so we can talk about this professional wrestling show. But uh, I, I, I like by I, all means, P, uh, Matt can vamp. Matt, Matt is the master. No, Matt's of we call vamp, him the vampire. But now, but now it's just going to make me more excited to talk about other matches as my bladder is filling up more and more with liquids. Okay. <laughs> Matt? Well, why don't we take a pause? and then? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, oh, okay. guys. This is, this, is, this is a bit. This is a bit. It's oh. not really a good bit, so let's move on. Like, like this. <laughs> Well, it, 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 it's not it's not me telling the long range story at Christmas like I'm uh, like uh, I'm Letterman or anything like that. I'm not Jay Thomas here. Fair enough. Um, well, <laughs> for my for my part, as far as this match, um, it is uh, I, I don't think I liked it as much as you did, Trevor. Um, I, I did. I did think it was it was novel. Like I, I thought they did some fun stuff with the false count anywhere. But I think part of it for me was this is. Brian Danielson's fourth straight singles ROH match where he spent a lot of time brawling in the crowd, um, you know, going back to the low-key match at Final Battle. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm kind of over it, I guess. I, uh, You know, like I said, they, 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 they kind of took it to its conclusion here in terms of, like like Keith said, going to every single part of the, uh, of the, of the uh, arena, so to speak. Um, you know, and uh, but uh, when they did their little um, like rolling cradle thing on the floor, all I could think was, man, they they must be getting so dirty right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but uh, you know, I I, did, I thought I thought it was it was fun. Like they did some fun stuff. I just I was just kind of kind of over it a little bit. We did get a Bobby Dempsey sighting, which I think might be the first time I remember seeing him on an ROH DVD. Um, can you? I remember? think I saw him on the previous show, maybe as more like. The people separating maybe Danielson and Homicide during like a crowd thing. I think I pointed them out on the last show. Oh, you're right. I, I, now that you mention it, I, that does ring a bell. Um, um, I, I, it's funny because like a lot of times these uh, these uh, matches where they decide not to do commentary, sometimes I'm like, you know, this could have used commentary, but it was actually kind of nice to take a break from them. Uh, in this, <laughs> oh. I, I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be mean, but like. You know, I mean, we've we've made our comments over the last few shows. Yes, yes, yes. You know, like I um, just just it was you know it's a nice little break, but I did think it was funny that they were like um, they're coming this way. Um, you know, implying that they were just they were there because um, it was like while they were in the crowd when they said that, so it was implying that they were doing their commentary from the middle of the crowd, which I, I don't know maybe some <laughs> indies do. I, I I don't know, but um, it's 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 if you're looking for the proper place for proper modulation throughout the building. Like it's in the middle of the crowd, so yeah. that could be it, you know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, but um, it's funny that um, at one point, as they're fighting in the in the crowd, a fan yells "Code Red" because what made that what makes that funny to me is that if it was 2020, someone would have just done a Code Red right then and there. Um, <laughs> that move has become much more common. Um, but um, yeah, I, I agree with like a lot of what you said about um, the spotlight. You know, not always doing the best at keeping up with them um but you know they tried their best um at one point um that like i said like they the homicide went for a cop killer on the floor and danielson took him to the ground with a cattle mutilation and then he went right into that cradle that he beat homicide with that all-star extravaganza which i thought was a cool spot to do in the crowd i also thought it was funny that um the commentators came back just coincidentally right before they decided to return to the ring i don't know just lucky timing i guess um 
But um, the other thing I liked was the uh, the finish. Um, you know, it was after the uh, after homicide's really bad, cattle mutilation, like you mentioned, and they do their little like jumping at each other and both splash each other in like in the stomach and fall down, and then they trade punches and forearms, and then Daniel then homicide hits Smokes by mistake, and Danielson just hits the regal plex completely out of nowhere to get the win and i i really like that because i think this was the first time that he has won with that move right is as he won or did he or did he win with that at um um in the uh no no this would have been the first time he won with that move right i'm not sure my memory is always awful but i mean that's a move he didn't even break out every match like that wasn't that even just seeing the regal plex wasn't always like an every match occurrence from Danielson at this point. And I really like how he does it, and I thought it made for a cool finish. Like, sometimes those out-of-nowhere finishes strike me as, um, you know, just too abrupt, but I really liked it in this match. That said, I don't think I particularly liked it more than their other matches in this series. I think maybe even um, slightly less. Um, I, I, I'm pretty, I, I definitely liked the match from the previous week more. Uh, I'm not sure where it ranks compared to the first one, but um, but you know they still did a lot of cool stuff. I, I still enjoyed it. So after the match, we got a, a couple little. Um, it's intermission time, so we got a couple little promos backstage. It's intermission, and Dave Prezak is there with Spanky and James Gibson. Uh, Spanky would l- would like an opportunity for a rematch with James Gibson from their match the day before. But in the meantime, there's a six-man tag team tournament coming up, and Spanky wants to know if Gibson will team with him. Gibson has what I describe as a very Gibson-esque enthusiastic reaction and agrees. He's like, well, you're only talking about me and you. Huh? And um, But says Spanky needs to find them a partner. Gabe says cut on the prone. Gibson leaves. And at this point, in walks in Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy tells Spanky that he knows there's a little heat between the two of them about having similar finishers, but every pitcher throws a different fastball. Wow. And the slice grid and contra code up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, are different. Uh, Spanky interrupts. He gets angry and shouty. He says, I've asked you to stop using my move before. He says, I've been here longer than you, Jimmy. You come in here cocky, trying to make it a joke. He tells Jimmy again, I just appreciate it if you stop using my move. Jimmy just smiles and says, huss. So the interesting thing here is, um, I don't know if they were mentioning this on the website at the time. This is the first time they had ever mentioned on the DVDs at all that Spanky had a problem with Jimmy Jacobs using a move similar. Now, to be to be specific, I mean, the Contra Code technically is slightly different than the Slice Bread number two. The Slice Bread number two, you kind of land just on your stomach. Um, the Contra Code, you know, Jimmy lands kind of sitting out on his butt with his legs sticking out. So technically, it's slightly different. And I, I, I don't know. I was debating if I should explain this, but for those who don't know... Uh, Jimmy literally says up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start. I'm dating myself here, but if any of our young whippersnapper <laughs> listeners do not know what the Contra code is, that or it was also called the Konami code, there was big video game company that now basically just makes pachinko machines. Uh, Konami put a lot of video games in the 80s and 90s, um, and they had a code in pretty much every one of their games where if you press up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, usually you would get a lot of extra lives. Sometimes other things would happen. Before the show today, I decided to Google it just to see how many of their games used it. And in one of the games, apparently in Silent Hill 3, if you beat the game and then enter the Contra code, you can play the game a second time, except the lead character in all cutscenes will be doing the cutscenes in their underwear. 
So there, little pro tip, if, if you, that's the magic, and that's what wow. Jimmy named his finisher after, is that code. I, but, wish that's, um, I wish that's what happened in Contra. <laughs> yes, it would, have been, it would have been more masculine to get the 30, because I believe if you did it in Contra, you got 30 lives. Right. So you basically could win. You know, you had no problem actually defeating the game and defeating the evil Contras. But if you were doing it in your underwear as well, that would be even more of a step in, in Reagan's beautiful America. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to somewhere else with Mick Foley and Abestus Jack. Um this is presumably, obviously, shot during two shows ago when they were together doing all their stuff. Um, Foley cuts a mock serious promo about how Joe broke a bestest Jack's heart, shattered his dreams. Uh, Foley says he will not be in Ring of Honor for a while now, but his heart will be there. His eyes will be glued on the screen, and he is plotting vengeance. One day, both of them will be back. Bang, bang. Uh, they will both be back, but I believe Nick Foley doesn't really get vengeance on Joe. That feud is basically over, if my memory serves. Yep. But it's funny that uh, this clearly tells you that at least at one point, they thought they were still maybe going to continue this. Um, yes. Can I with, can I talk about the Spanky and Gibson promo? Yeah, go ahead. As, go as ahead. someone that shot over 2 million promos in the course of my life, there were some notes that I had especially on this. Uh, first of all, whoever shot this shot it way too close, where it was a lot of going back and forth between the two guys. It would have been nice if they, you know, they, there was no reason to get that close unless you're, you know, that's sexually attracted to Spanky, which I could understand. So, maybe, maybe they were uh, in a really tiny room and they couldn't, the guy couldn't stand back any further. <laughs> But it just seemed like, okay, got to get here, got to get here, like seemed back and forth. One of my favorite things about this was it was a nice two for promo where two promos lead into one, where as soon as the promo's over, Spanky says thank you, and then Gabe, or Jimmy Bauer, also says thank you. And I was like, you know what, that's a nice little touch, like that the guy's happy, no one's critiquing anyone right here. And there goes Jimmy Jacobs saying that every pitcher throws a different fastball which makes me want to text Jimmy Jacobs and ask him about baseball right now, because I assume if I, if I texted him about baseball, he would have no clue or anything like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that seems like a line that was possibly brought to him upon high, but, uh, it was, it was, it was quite the interesting promo. And it was like interesting just to watch Jimmy Jacobs back in, you know, 15 years ago where I'm just like, Oh my God, like that's a guy that heads up impact now. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I thought of when I watched that promo is Spanky, you know, it made me realize that before Spanky left ROH the first time, his character was totally different. Like, he was just, like, an insane weirdo. And it kind of made me wonder, like, would it have been better if Spanky kind of went back to being the old Spanky? You know, would that have played a little differently? Like, if he had just tried to be his kind of zany character? Because he's just, like, a serious guy now. He kind of he doesn't have much of a personality in this version of ROH. I don't know. Uh Ooh. He had his move stolen. He had his contra cold <laughs> sliced bread stolen. Like the man is angry now. He doesn't like this young kid with the eyeliner comes in, takes the code, takes his thirty lives, takes his move. He's going to take his livelihood. That that's that's the move he uses to put food on his family's table. The story they were kind of trying to sell, I think, online was like Spanky was you know coming back and after WWE killed his love of wrestling, you know, he's slowly getting it back, which kind of, I, I guess it says something about how up and down Spanky's career has been where that was basically the story he used in WWE when he came back with the cruiserweight classic and stuff, which is like this idea of, you know, you know, I'm going to take wrestling seriously again. I love it now again. And, you know, you know, it's been a, you know, he's always a very talented guy, but it's in a rocky road for old Brian Kendrick. But, um, 
That brings us to the match they had opened up after intermission. Spanky defeated Jimmy Jacobs via pinfall in 10 minutes, 48 seconds after hitting the slice bread number two. Um, Matt, you know, um, I'll just say Matt, I was, I was going to say something, but I thought, no, that might tip my hand. Matt, what did you think about this match? Um, so it was interesting. I'm not totally sure what to make of it. I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not, wasn't crazy about the face heel dynamic in the sense of like, you know, it's, in some ways it's like Jacobs is the heel because he's still, he's being like cocky about the move. But on the other hand, like he's being the baby face cause he's, you know, fighting from behind, you know, um, but the crowd is really into it. They do a dueling chant. Um, you know, and at one point Spanky's like attacking Jacobs and Jacobs is daring him to keep it coming. And, you know, Jacobs is showing that resilience. Um, um, but um, at one point, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're avoiding, you know, slice spreads and contra codes. And, you know, like Jacobs gets a cool near fall where he avoids a slice spread and, and pulls Spanky into a roll up for two. Spanky actually hits a flatliner and does a frog splash for two. Jacobs comes back with a big spear and he gets a hush chant. Um, Jacobs, you know, hits a big jumping DDT and an unprettier and a senton from the top and gets a two. Goes for a contra code. Uh, Spanky pushes him off and then hits a super kick and then hits the sliced bread. Um, I don't know. I, I, I appreciated the gimmick that Spanky was pissed off. I thought it was interesting that Jacobs didn't really get much offense for the body of the match. And then basically he kind of – so he didn't really get offense for like a lot of the match. And then he dominated the last few minutes. He got almost all the near falls. I thought that was a unique, uh, a unique structure. I also thought it was interesting that at one point Nolte actually came down on the side of it's okay to use someone else's move. He's like, if you have a move that can win you a match, you know, just do it. Um, which you know, I mean, if I, you know, in a in a uh, in a sense, I sort of agree with that. I don't know, um, but um, but anyway, yeah, I, I thought there was some good stuff about the match, but. There was something weird about it, too. The crowd did seem to like it, though. Past Dr. Keith called this a very good match. Uh, what does present Dr. Keith think? Well, did I say anything else about this match? Uh, I'm, I'll I'm read the curious. whole review. Uh, this is an example of the, the, the brief to the point style of this day's Dr. Keith. It was um, Spanky defeated Jimmy Jacobs in 10 minutes with slice bread number two. Very good match as Spanky took a beating from Jimmy, but Jimmy took the fall after giving Spanky everything. Cannonball, senton, reverse pedigree, everything. This was another very good match. And that's the entire review. <laughs> I, you know what? That that uh, again. I'm I'm amazed how good 2005 Keith. I wish it was paragraph by paragraph. Doctor Keith 2005, where I could literally write. You know, I remember I remember submit stuff that I wanted to write for reviews, and someone sitting there saying this isn't War and Peace. You know, but uh, apparently, I guess I learned my lesson by this time. Uh, yeah, I, I it was fine. I mean, it was it was a match. I enjoyed the back and forth. I thought Jimmy, like the story of the match, obviously was you know the move. But I think Jimmy definitely played a good role in here in establishing that he could potentially beat Spanky, but Spanky coming out at the end. So I I, I would agree. I agree with the senator from two thousand five. I I thought this was a good match, uh, but like low good, like a three star, which is perfectly decent for the spot on the card. Um. I thought the interesting thing watching this match is how much of a bully Spanky was during it. And we've seen a little bit of that since the comeback where, you know, I think his first match of the year with Alex Shelley, he had a bit of a mean streak at some points. 
and he's kind of a growly, angrier guy. And and like Matt said with the promo, you know, maybe that's not exactly playing to Spanky what got him really popular in the first place and kind of his personality strengths. But I do like when he's just doing stuff like tossing Jacobs into the crowd and things like that where and sometimes he just kind of wrestles with a bit of a stiffness and like a, a growliness to it for lack of a better word that kind of reminds you like oh this guy like trained together and came up with Brian Danielson because he does have a bit of what Brian Danielson would show you at times in his first half of his career and um and yeah the, the it's mostly just a, a good, decent amount of action. Like Matt said, you know, Jimmy does what he does in a lot of matches, which he takes a beating most of the match. But like Matt said, he, uh, Spanky gives him then almost like, almost, I wonder if he feels bad for him. Like, okay, I'm going to beat you up for most of this match, but you're going to get like two or three minutes straight where you can just do whatever you want, hit, you know, a bunch of big moves and then we'll go to the finish. Um, the, the, at one point during this match, there's one of my favorite out-of-context chants ever, which is Slice Bread's Better. The crowd actually chants that, which uh, I wonder if there's that's ever been chanted in wrestling before or since, or if anywhere in life, really, Slice Bread's Better. But, um... <laughs> um, Spanky does the... Spanky, like, the one thing I want, I guess I want to really mention, though, is... It is hard between the promo and this match to tell who's supposed to be the face and who's supposed to be the heel, or if there even is supposed to be a face and a heel. Like, Spanky is kind of bordering on being a heel, doing stuff like he does the Jimmy Jacobs huss hand, but he does it with his middle finger flip, flipping him off. Um, he husses at Jacobs when he has um in the Boston Crab. Um you know, stuff like that. And even like you, like you mentioned the commentary where Mark Nolte is like, well, you know what? I don't know if it's really a bad thing, you know, to do someone else's finisher. And when the whole pre-match promo is predicated on Spanky, you know, being really pissed off that how dare you do um, my finisher. And, you know, even during commentary, they kind of talk about like, is Jimmy Jacobs showing a cockier side, you know, recently where he attacked Alex Shelley after a match they had, but then they go right back and say, well, Alex Shelley deserved it. So the whole commentary kind of gives you this vibe of like, you, you listen to the commentary and even as someone who's watching every show, I don't even know what they're intending me to feel. Like, I don't know who they want me to dislike or if they want me to even dislike either guy, but the match was perfectly good, enjoyable, solid stuff. Um... After the match, Spanky dances to his music as Jacobs continues to sell for quite a while. Spanky offers a handshake, and there's some hesitation, and the crowd, but the crowd then starts chanting, shake his hand. Spanky then screams, you shake my goddamn hand, boy. Which, again, he's, yeah. like, he's like a grizzled 40-year veteran. Uh, Jimmy does eventually shake the hand. So they're kind of, I think, trying to tease maybe that, like, Jacobs is starting to get a little full of himself. I'm not sure at this point. We'll we'll find out as we rewatch these shows. And that brings us to the next match. James Gibson defeated Puma via submission. Puma, of course, for those who didn't listen to the last show, this would be TJ Perkins in an early gimmick. Um, Gibson wins via submission in 1258 with a front guillotine. Uh, Keith, you'll get to go first. I'll point out a past Keith. I would, judging, but he didn't rank the matches or give star rings, but I would say that this was um, his least favorite match of the show, if only because he gave it the dreaded okay match rating. So, uh, you know, everything else here, you, um, 
gave something higher. In fact, you said at one point, the crowd was very Japanese-like, respectful and quiet. Some people chanted Doring, and I mean boring during it. So I don't think we heard wow. the boring chants during the show, but this was definitely, I would say, the quietest the crowd was probably for the entire show. Yeah, and I think I made it because I think uh, Jamie Noble was wearing like a New Japan shirt, a rad CTU uh, shirt, which was during the glory days of New Japan. I mean, New Japan isn't a promotion anymore, so oh, wait, never mind. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was a match. It was fine. I mean, I, I felt the same way now about it that I did back then. I mean, I, I always enjoyed Jamie Noble, uh, James Gibson, whatever we want to call it. But I, it was Nolte something- called him Jamie Gibson over and over again. Nice, even better. Yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, J- James Gibson and ROH was always a weird one for me. Like, I, I didn't necessarily like him, but I don't feel that he did anything to make himself stand out. And I thought that he was a very good wrestler, but didn't have any substance other than being a really good wrestler. You know, this was one probably my one of my least favorite matches of the show, but I would still put like a tiny bit above average. Um, TJ Perkins. It's funny. I was watching this match and on our last show, we, uh, we watched uh Puma versus homicide. And that was a very disappointing match and not even as good as this match, I would say. And, um, I was watching this match and, you know, TJ Perkins, he does more in this match. He has a few impressive spots. Like he does a big feet first dive through the ropes that he turns into a Rana, you know, he does some cool moves and overall, like he's not terrible, but he's not great. And I, I, I started feeling like, boy, TJ Perkins was, you know, not as good, you know, 15 years ago. And then I thought to myself, Trevor, you idiot, like TJ Perkins isn't that old. Look up how old he was during this. He was 20 years old during Yikes. this match. Um, now bear in mind, TJ Perkins apparently was training and wrestling in some form or fashion since he was 13. So technically he was a seven year veteran at this point, but still for 20, it's an incredible performance. I mean, maybe not quite on the level of like Brian Danielson in his early twenties or like teenage Briscoes, but if you're 20 and as good as you, as uh, TJ Perkins is in this match, you're, you're, you're just fine. You're, you're very good. But, um, the match itself, um, yeah, it just, there wasn't a lot to it. Uh, Gibson was interesting because he, uh, he was doing something at one point in the middle of a 13 minute match. He just puts TJ Perkins in a, in a chin lock, which is something you would like almost never see in Ring of Honor at this point. Just the wrestlers would know that's not that's what you do here. But Gibson does it and, you know, he's liked enough that he gets away with it. Not that it's necessarily even a bad thing. Um, Gibson is a, again. This is the second straight match I've seen for him where, like, he doesn't do anything too special, but he does the little things really well. I'm sure I'll be saying that a lot about him. But in this match, it's almost like he does a couple things maybe too well. Like, I would say his selling is almost too good, which sounds weird. But there's a couple moments in this match where, like, his selling is so good that it makes you think you're seeing some like a major point in the match, and it really isn't. Like, there's a point where one of his limbs gets worked over, and he's it's just selling it like fantastic and i feel like oh shit he's gonna sell it's really hurt and this is gonna be like a central point of the story of the match and they puma doesn't work on the rest of the match and he doesn't sell it the rest of the match but his selling that moment is so good it makes you think like oh man this is a huge turning point but it isn't and likewise later in the match like um gives it something just being beat to shit and being woozy from a move and he's got one hand on the ropes and he's like leaning and like he's barely staying up and his legs cross it's just this great sell and then like moments later he's back on offense winning the match and it's stuff like that where 
sometimes you're selling if it's that good and then like you it doesn't really factor into anything it's almost what i would describe as too good of selling because you're kind of making me think things that you're clearly not going to play up but overall just it was a decent match but nothing special matt what'd you think i um well, sure. First of all, I think that's a good point. Like about like in wrestling, you got to be really kind of nuanced about your selling because it's like you can really sell that something is devastating. But if you're not going to end up reacting like it was devastating, then maybe you should sell like it's a little less, a little less devastating. Um, that's a good point uh, that I did not think of. But um, I um, I probably liked it. Actually, is one of the few matches that I probably liked a little more than the both of you. Um, not much more. I I definitely think it was. Like um, the much better Puma performance of the weekend, yes. I thought he looked. I thought he looked pretty good. Like I, I, I really did. I, I was actually like thought he looked good enough that I would have expected to see a little more of him um, in our which Obviously, we didn't really get that at that time. But um, no, I was I was pretty impressed. And like you said, uh, Gibson was doing all the little stuff well. Um, there's there's really no, nothing too major that stands out in this match to to talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned the the long chin lock spot, and then Puma reversed the sleeper hold, but Gibson breaks it with a jawbreaker, and um, and uh, Gabe went out of his way to correct Nolte, who called it an ace cutter, which it definitely was not an ace cutter. I have to give Gabe that it was not. Um, you know, but the, like like the, the little stuff, like for example, Puma trying to do like a clover leaf slash sharpshooter combo kind of move, but Gibson was just like moving his legs, so Puma had like couldn't get it on, so Puma had to stop him so he could get the hold on. Like I thought that was a nice little touch by Gibson, you know, where like he wouldn't he wouldn't just let the hold go on easy. Um, you know, they're reversing tombstone attempts. Um, you know, and like you said, the the finish felt kinda out of nowhere after all like over after all of Puma's offense. Gibson just blocks some knees, hits the hits the DDT, gets the guillotine, gets the win. So, you know, another very sudden victory. Um But, you know, I thought it was I thought it was solid. I, I thought um I thought it actually it would have played better if it had been like a, a second match on the card kind of thing, yeah, I think the crowd would have taken to it more and I think it would have fit better because, you know, we're talking now third from the top and it's definitely not positioned like it's like a bathroom break match or anything. You know, they give it solid time and people want to see uh, James Gibson. So I think an earlier on the card kind of uh, spot would have probably served this match well. But um, as it was, I thought it was all right. I thought it, I thought it was solid. And that brings us to the semi-main event. Jimmy Rave with Fast Eddie and Prince Nana defeats CM Punk with Davey Andrews and Tracy Brooks via pinfall in 19 minutes, 43 seconds with a schoolboy after spraying Punk in the face with a substance we assume is maybe some of that perfume, some of that arrogance, but we'll find out later. It was anything but. But, um... So this is the second of the three matches on the show where I talked about before how context makes a big difference sometimes. To me, watching this match, I could see people, depending on their context and what they want from wrestling, giving this anything from average to great. To me, this is a great match, and it's great because as someone that's re-watching every Ring of Honor show starting from the first show, this is the kind of match you maybe have never seen in Ring of Honor up to this point, which is a very classic, like, 80s-style, Memphis-style, hide-the-foreign-object, heel-heat match and it's very basic very classic it's not reinventing the wheel and if you've watched a lot of 80s wrestling and you're kind of sick of that you might not like this if you um you watch ring of honor even old ring of honor because you want kind of what was considered the state of the art and very action-packed super fast-paced super innovative stuff 
this is not that match. But if you've been watching Ring of Honor every show from the beginning, like Matt and I, um, I think it's pretty refreshing and a unique change to see this kind of match in this company in this era. And um, I really liked it. Um, yeah, the, so the whole story of the match is like this is one of those matches. At least there's a restart, and then at least until the restart, everything in this match happens for a reason. Like, um, you know, Rave jumps Punk early. Um, Punk quickly fights him off and gets a bunch of offense to dominate to show you that you know in a fair fight he's the better man. Um, eventually, cheating and distractions gets Rave the advantage, and on that point. Rave then immediately starts going to his boot like three times to really let you know like he's really looking to get his shoelace out. And from there, most of this match is shoelace spots. It's him finding ways to choke uh, CM Punk with the shoelace, ways for him to hide it. At one point, he hides it in his mouth and then has the ref check his boots and his hands. Uh, and, um, you know, it's him choking Punk over and over again. And Punk gets a couple comebacks at the right times, but eventually... Um, Rafe gets him choking, choking him again with the shoelace and Punk just passes out, which is again, another one of those cool spots where you hardly ever in wrestling, especially like in us wrestling, see a match like this where then the guy's arm, it's like, he's getting choked for like the fourth or fifth time. And his arm just goes up and down three times and the match is called, except then we get the big restart where Rave is celebrating. The ref goes to Rave's, Rave's hand, and when he raises his hand, he drops the shoelace. The ref gets pissed off. He like realizes what's been happening, restarts the match, and from there, I get, what we get from there. If there's if there's a flaw to the match for such a unique match where it felt like every moment had meaning and felt completely different, the next the everything from the restart, it's just like a few minutes is more of your typical for the era back and forth moves, moves, big near falls, more exciting, more fast paced ring of honor match. And it's a good version of it, but it is maybe not what made this match special. And then we get the ending where, um, punk has rave in the anaconda vice. Um, while the ref is distracted, uh, rave gets handed an aerosol can. He sprays punk in the face with it. Does the schoolboy for the win. So yeah, I could see people watching this match depending on what you're looking for. Could be very divisive. I really enjoyed it. Matt, I'll go to you first. Cause I'm really interested. I, I think I have some idea based on some, a little bit of discussion, what you thought, but what do you think about this match as someone again, like me, who's been on this journey of rewatching all the matches. This is really completely different than everything ring of honors done up to this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, you know, we saw a little of it, in uh, the AJ versus Rave match the night before. Um, you know, it started off a lot more hot and heavy than this one did, and then it kind of settled into Rave doing heel work. But I think he perfects the heel work here, um, you know, even just like one day after that one, you know, because he, he does a lot of the little tricks, you know, the, the, the shoelace thing most of all, you know. And they, they, they do some fun stuff early on too because, you know, Nan is obviously interfering. He's tripping He's tripping Punk, but then, um, but then Tracy Brooks trips Rave to even the odds. So you know, I think that helps get the keep the crowd in it, even though Rave is not doing, um, um, even though Rave is not doing, um, you know, like big spots. But Punk is having a good time beating on Rave. Like that's that's one thing I enjoyed from the beginning is that is that Punk is like when he's doing his quote shine sequence, he seems like he's just having a great time, not taking Rave seriously. Um, and at one point Gabe is even like, I don't like to make predictions, but there's no way that CM Punk is going to lose this one. And I'm just like, oh, well, that settles Uh, that. Uh Yeah. (laughs) You, you, uh, you know, that, that, then the, no questions asked after that one. Um, not that I didn't know who would win anyway, but, um, 
you know, I I, um, I I also like that Punk did the Garvin Stomp and literally called it out by name. He was just like Garvin Stomp, and then he did the he Garvin goes, How stomp. about a Garvin Stomp? And yeah, and like you said, Matt, like Punk, I've never seen Punk have this much fun. Like when he's on offense, like he just feels like he's having the best time. Yeah, and you know that that bleeds into the match, but you also kind of get the sense like oh hubris, right? Like he's he's setting himself yeah. up for a fall. You know, he's he's having too much fun. And then, you know, the Gabe comment, you know, and then that's, that's all, you know, that, you know, and Rave, when he does finally come back, it's with a low blow because, you know, he's a heel, um, which is unlike the eye pokes. I think, you know, it's novel enough that I thought it was well done. Um, there's, uh, the crowd is definitely getting into hating on Rave. In fact, there's even a Rave's a, um, homophobic F slur chant, which, um, you know, is blunt. I'd say even for 2005, I feel like you don't, you didn't, you never, you didn't hear quite that level of, um, overt, uh, stuff as much at that point, uh, maybe a few years earlier, but um, you know it is what it is. Uh, it happened, <laughs> um, but you know besides that, the match, you know that this part of the match is really cool. Like they they do all the shoelace stuff, like you were saying. Um, the thing is, um, when it ended very abruptly with the shoelace sleeper, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I thought that was such a cool way to end the match, just out of nowhere, unexpected, got a ton of heat, and. I kind of wish the match just ended there. Like, not that the stuff that happened after it wasn't good. Um, and obviously the, the whole part with the, uh, with the uh, spray in the eyes, the hotshot spray, which we find out later in the eyes, um, you know, obviously is a big spot and it's a big moment to kick off the feud. But I really like that finish. I, I just thought, you know, just the match ending just like that abruptly. I think when they restarted the match, it became a lot more typical. Um, in terms of just like big moves, near falls, um, you know, Pepsi plunge es- escapes and reversals and running knees and, and near falls. And like, it's all good, but it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't as memorable. So I thought it was a really good match, but I kind of wish it ended um, after the first ending, just because it would have been so different. Keith, I got a few notes from past Keith on this one. Um, okay. I'll note that you gave Tracy Brooks the rare all caps and Tilda Bang. So you were very impressed with her being there. She, um, was, she was looking very lovely that evening. <laughs> so. um, and I'll read this quote directly. Um, let me just see here. Uh, Finish came with punks having the anaconda vice on rave and Nana spraying the fly spray or deodorant into punk's eyes. Punk was blinded by this arrogance. And Rave rolled him up and held the tights for the win. Decent match while it lasted. If you enjoy shoelace shenanigans. Um, and so, I, I, one last thing before I get your thoughts, Keith. You wrote at the very end, and I, I wanted to say this to uh, tell past Keith he did nothing wrong here. You wrote, by the way, Punk was wearing actual wrestling tights in this match. I don't know why I found this so newsworthy. And this actually turned out to be newsworthy. I'll, I'll note that we covered, um, he had just started wearing them in Ring of Honor on the previous night on the last show. And I'll note that like multiple live reports for these two shows brought up people like writing into the torch and the PW insider and the observer, like CM Punk's like getting some muscle and wearing tights now. And little did we all know that like he was pre- preparing for, um, wwe to come calling so uh clearly you know this i think i don't know if he was outright told to do this but uh you know i'm glad you mentioned that because i have the scoop here so after after the show i was hanging out with mr punk and i asked him like literally you're hanging out with friends 
you know, and here I am, a professional wrestling journalist extreme. And I was like, what's, what's with the tights? What's, what happened to the basketball shorts? And he looked at me and he said two words, New York. And I knew exactly what he wanted. He hated the New York Knicks so much he decided to start <laughs> wearing tights. No, he, 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 like looking at it on the show, it's, it, it was interesting because I haven't watched a lot of, you know, CM Punk through, through the years. And like the last stuff I watched probably was stuff I watched for these shows. And he looked, his body looked very cut on the show. And like, he looked very good at tights. It looked a very, very like he, he, his, his whole presentation looked incredibly good here. So the tights, the reason why I brought up the tights was because it was something that he had mentioned to me, but I didn't want to sit there and say, he whispered New York to me at a, at a bar in Chicago, <laughs> like, cause that's, that's never something you want to see in a professional wrestling review. But, uh, in terms of this match, I enjoyed this match, even though there really wasn't that much to it. It was CM Punk having fun, as you guys both mentioned. And it was funny because, like, even Gabe on commentary said something like, you know, like, you know, CM Punk has been in a good, great mood this entire weekend. You I know, like the development for his character. That, like, that, that, I'm surprised happy. that wasn't in the newswire. Like, oh, it's happy-go-lucky punk. I mean, you have to be happy to call out the Garvin stomp and then actually do it in the course of the match. So, and I, I made the same same comment in the notes here where it's like, no way CM Punk is going to lose. But the best thing about this was I had forgotten about the shoelace base offense and shenanigans that was going on here. And then, so when the match ended with the shoelace shenanigans, I was like, wait, what, what about the spray? What about, what about, what, what's going to happen there? And then the reveal of that and with, you know, complete with Jimmy Rave having this disgusting shoelace in his mouth for a period of time during the course of this match with, with COVID, you know, is even more fantastic now, but, uh, yeah, it it was it was something to behold. Another thing that I noted on here was one of the better fights that always one of the themes of the show that I enjoyed was guys having problems getting out of their sport coats because at one point Prince Nana tried to get out of his sport coat and it seemed like he was sort of having the professional wrestling match better than Nana, any of Nana's singles matches in the early days of Ring of Honor against his sport coat. So, uh but yeah, I, I enjoyed this match. I like the fact that the announcers were very concerned about CM Punk getting choked to death. And one of them mentioned the fact that he could potentially go brain dead during the course of this. So another thing, another thing I enjoyed was Rave got the shoelace out of it. Like he pointed to Tracy Brooks and then got the shoelace out of his mouth. But it was just such a wonderful, like, just a wonderful chicken shit. Like, the chicken shit wins, the match is restarted, the chicken shit is upset, the chicken shit does something secondary, and then, you know, gives Tracy Brooks the rave clash after the match, which I enjoyed because she took it much better than her husband Frankie Kazarian took in TNA. That one's for you, my (laughs) man, Robert R. Connor. So, um, first off, I like... The uh, the other thing about CM Punk like getting in better shape, we had started noticing the, the commentary even started calling it out like a couple shows ago. But there's one moment in this match where it feels like Punk has very like I'm in even better shape energy. Like as someone who's been out of shape and in shape, I get that. There, there's a there's a spot in this match that reminds you of that feeling where um Punk does a very long delayed vertical suplex, gets a huge reaction from the crowd where he holds him into like the mid thirties, and then after Punk hits it, he like literally jogs around the ring immediately after hitting it, and, and I just feel like that's like that reminds you of like when you go to the gym for a couple months and realize you actually have like 
can do things you didn't used to do. You're like, I'm just showing off. Look at this. I can go for a run after doing that move. And it was just very cute in a way. And um, one last thing I want to mention is I did a lot of research for this match because uh, Jimmy Rave's done some interviews. He did a shoot interview in the last few years for RF Video. He did the interview for our, with our friends at an Honorable Mention podcast. And he doesn't have a lot specifically about this match. He has about later matches, Jimmy Rave in terms of things to say. But one thing that was interesting is he, he kind of talked about his history with CM Punk, how like Punk apparently had always kind of had a, a fondness for Jimmy and really respected the, he kind of, he and Colt apparently saw Rave as like a guy from a different area, kind of doing what they were doing, having that same dedication to really going all over the place and sacrificing and working to get ahead in wrestling. And um, talked about how, you know, Punk was always wanting to work with him and, you know, just a nice guy to him. But, Although he also t- he tells two stories. I feel like these stories kind of s- illustrate the yin and yang of CM Punk. So the one story is Jimmy Rave starts talking about how he was always really good at those claw games where you can get the prizes. And at one point, he's very close to getting a prize. And Punk comes over and just bangs the machine so he drops the prize and doesn't get it. And, <laughs> and, 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 and then he Shake says, my he head. Also said, so here he gives an idea of how generous Punk could be, though. He says that one I don't know when this was, but he he's um talking on his phone, I think to his wife who would become his ex-wife or something, and he's complaining about like he wants to get this PSP because he's going nuts on the road, not having anything to do, and he really wants it, and I don't know if they're arguing about it or something. He says Punk overhears, and then shortly thereafter, Punk just comes up to him with a brand new PSP and a hundred dollar gift card to like the PlayStation store. Just and uh, you know, you hear stories about that and how like him buying Joey Mercury a house, like Punk to me is like the most interesting guy because he, th- those stories, it's like he could be the guy that like fucks up your game for no reason or just like buys you stuff without even asking because he just overhears that you want it. Like, CM Punk to me is like a very interesting human being. God bless him. And, um, so after the match, Punk clutches. One his last eight. thing though. One oh, go, last go thing ahead. Though. I, I did mention this. Previously, we talked about paramedics. And where were the paramedics at multiple times? You know, they were doing the Alex Shelley as punk is being blinded by the substance, by this quote unquote air pressure spray quote, which I always thought was Axe body spray, which the announcers mentioned during the course of this match that this will not maim you. Literally, <laughs> this is a comment on commentary. This will, is not going to maim you or cause permanent damage. So punk gets hit with the spray, of course, and stuff like that. The paramedics were nowhere to be found to help wash out CM Punk's eye with like an eye washing station, which you would think the Chicago uh, Chicago Ridge Park District would have one of those things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after the match, and Keith touched on this already, but after the match, Punk clutches his face and he covers it with a towel. Uh, Tracy Brooks slaps Rave in the face and Nana attacks her like pretty severely, leading to a three on one beatdown with Rave and uh, Fast Eddie. Uh, Davy Andrews tries to save her, but he can't. Rave then hits Brooks with the Rave Clash. Uh, Punk's face is still covered with a towel as he's being attended to. And his acting here is pretty good because he keeps screaming, like, what the fuck is going on? So, like, he's acknowledging he can hear something's going on, but obviously they're selling that he's blind, so he doesn't know what. Um, gotta sneeze. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, Cole Bless Cavana you. then, thank you. Uh, Cole Cavana then runs in to check on, chase the embassy away with a chair. Colt checks on Punk as Punk keeps screaming at wanting to know what happened. Uh, Punk then kind of half blindly crawls to the hurt Brooks. Uh, 
Davy Andrews carries Brooks to the back as Ring of Honor officials help Punk. I thought this was a really good angle. Uh, what did you think, Matt? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was excellent. Like, really, I mean, just you knew exactly after you saw this why this became such a hot feud because it started out so well. Like, this is just um, one of the heaviest, you know, angles. You know, even when you have earlier on the show um, them breaking Alex Shelley's arm, I guess – you know, and different things like that. This felt just much more serious because you don't do this to CM Punk, you know, unless you're Raven, I guess. Um, but, you know, this is the first time anyone's, you know, really got this kind of level of, you know, um, got oh, got one over on Punk. And it's, I think the fact that it's Jimmy Rave um, makes it, you know, a bigger deal because Rave sort of came out of nowhere as a main event type of guy. Um, you know, the, you know the, the night before was his first singles main event. And, you know, so it's just, it's just, it's like a coming out party for Rave and the embassy as they go from like a, a low card heel act to a top card heel act. And Punk is such a guy to get one over on and he sells it really well. And, you know, the fact that they not only take out Punk, but also take out his girlfriend, you know, I, and the fact that, is this the first time that they do a, um, of a, a move to a woman where it actually gets booed? I'm not sure, but like, it's weird. Like, it's think I was gonna say, Matt. Think of how big a reaction this would have gotten if they hadn't done man on moon violence on most of their shows up to this point. Like it got a good, re- very good reaction. But imagine if this was like the first time that it ever happened. No, that's a good point because like pretty much every other time was for no reason. And I'm not saying it's okay to do it ever, but like yeah. if you do it like a once in a long time to make a really bad person seem really bad, I feel like that's there's much less objectionable content there than there is when they just do it gratuitously all the time and um this time like but 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 it did get boos like which which just goes to the um to the uh, effectiveness of the angle because like if you've watched every show like we have uh, dr keith you would see that there's nothing that roh crowds loved more than violence against women and <laughs> well um, usually isn't it violish against heelish wi- women or jezebel women I no mean, no i would say okay. no i would say i mean maybe like <laughs> ma- like i'm you usually i would say um maybe but the, the, any woman and, and oftentimes it was against women that are baby faces um or or just you know neutral or heels doing it you know um you know he um and it gets huge pops um the, you know and even when it has been done against um heel women it's like it's not because they did anything like like on the first show alice in danger gets gets put through a table and it's like she really hadn't done anything she hadn't been like evil she had just been with uh guys who had a gay gimmick you know yeah, stuff her like, crime was supporting gay people <laughs> Yeah, My so, goodness. so so technically she was a heel, but she wasn't doing anything heelish. This is the first time where like a a a person does it to actually get heat and it works. Um so this is this is noteworthy as someone who's just watched all these shows. This is this is a noteworthy moment for several reasons, but that's definitely one of them. Yeah. So um, that brings us to the main event, the Ring of Honor world title match. It's the rematch of the title change that happened at Final Battle. Austin Aries successfully defends the title. He defeats Samoa Joe yet again in 17 minutes, 13 seconds, when he uh, flips over while in the rear naked choke. Um, Dr. Keith, as uh, the guest, I think you should get the first crack at the main event. 
Um, I'm just trying to look at what you thought in the past. Um, I'm just trying to see. Very good match. Maybe not as good as their final battle 2004 match, but a very good match with a not so good ending. But it was the best for business, Tildebang. Tildebang. Wow, so, look at me. Look at me <laughs> pretending that I knew what I was talking about in professional wrestling like 15 already years with later. Already for creative. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Like the best finish for business, baby. You know, like, yeah, it was, it was one of those things. I think when the rematch was announced, it was sort of like, I'm not going to give the belt back already. You know, they have Austin Aries who's always fixing his hair, wearing nice sunglasses. If anything, these guys were fighting more than the ROH title. They were fighting for the best wrestler in Ring of Honor that would wear a necklace constantly. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this match because I, I, I think part of me though, you know, going back to the history of Dr. Keith and ring of honor, I was supposed to be at that final battle that year, but I decided to get, it was either go to final battle or engage my wife. And in this (laughs) case, the wife won out and I, I, there was actually a seat for me for final battle. I actually ate the money for it, for the ticket and didn't get to see that wonderful finish to that match, which was, I think an all time great ring of honor moment, no matter what. Would you say that's your biggest wrestling regret or have you, have you missed other matches? I I literally could do a five hour podcast. regrets. I would think, I would think it's up there with, I was, I had a ticket for WrestleMania 13. It was, it was far up in the bleachers. I did not go to it because I went to the, guy that eventually became my roommate's punk show in Arlington Heights which was about 15 minutes which was about 15 minutes away from the Rosemont Arena the best thing about it though was during the show there was some slam dancing being done and he was playing guitar and singing and a slam dancer hit his microphone stand hit him in the mouth he decided to stop playing and decided to pin this guy up against the wall and sort of he was a bigger guy and sort of just sort of choke this guy and I had to get in there and sort of separate it. So I sort of saved a young slam dancer's life. Uh, but I didn't get to see Austin versus Bret Hart live. So it's one of those <laughs> things where I've tried, there, there's a lot of pro wrestling regret I have. Well, that, uh, well, that's, know. that slam dancer does not regret your decision. So it definitely does not. But, but if they're listening to this right now, if they were at a fed show at the Arlington Heights, uh, Knights of Columbus, uh, during the, the same day, as WrestleMania 13, I hope they know that I hate you for that. I have another question, though. Since you missed um, ROH Final Battle, did you tell your wife that the engagement ring was your ring of honor? <laughs> wow. Uh, I should have, but I, I did not. But, it be, but, it be, but the other thing was, because of... Because of you know being in a long term very successful relationship, and I was about to do an ROH video plug here, but I decided not to. Um, you know, I also got to miss the Kenta Kobashi show and wow. the show. But oh, but wow. but at the same time, I, I've been allowed because of this to see. I went to multiple ROH shows in Philadelphia. I went to the show, the Survival of the Fittest in Cleveland, where Delirious won and had some. Uh, escapades as I decided not to get a hotel room and just fly to the show, see a friend of mine that works at the delicious melt uh, restaurant in Cleveland, go to the show and hang out after the show drinking until it was time to get on my plane, like a true wrestler lifestyle. So I, you know, there's, I, I you can't live in a world of regret. You just have some fantastic regrets when you're on a, uh, a podcast with two guys you like. So there you go. <laughs> But uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, <laughs> this, no, this would be Austin Aries against Samoa Joe. Match. How about that? Uh, I like this match a whole lot. Uh, 
And I, I loved when Aries was bleeding, even though he didn't need to. Because as for one, I remember one of the first shows that I went to with the guardrails, I was sitting in the front row and I was banging at it. And I noticed I got a cut on my thumb. So I know what it's like to bleed for ROH. <laughs> like I know how to bleed honorably. You, uh, so you and, so Austin, you and Austin Aries are blood brothers. We really are. We really are. Well, I, I don't know if you know this. I gave Austin Aries his big break by showing up on uh, the Press of Power Hour back in the day. He was on my podcast before he was in Ring of Honor. Now, wow. I'm not going to say the stars aligned or I, I turned him on to veganism or anything else. But, uh, yeah, uh, but I, I, I like this match. I, I think Austin Aries at this time was such a, a, a great talent. I thought Joe was good. I thought there was some really good back and forth here. And I, I also enjoyed it because lately, because of another podcast I like, the Between the Sheets did a whole Patreon series about uh, the ECW on TNN. So I watched a lot of ECW from like 97. Like I watched 97, 98, 99, 2000 over the last few months. And I watched a match in ECW that had the same finish as this, except instead of Aries and Joe it was Sabu and Taz so you know I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed this I thought it was a fantastic main event I don't think it was as good of course as the final battle but you sort of knew going into it you weren't going to see another change you know you weren't going to see yeah. a changing of the guard so to speak but uh, you know good blood a lot of good near falls uh, I think Aries had a good sense of, of flurries with Joe and the fact that you know it seemed like Joe could potentially get defeated again and I don't think Joe necessarily lost anything in losing the way that he did so I thought it was, I thought it was a fine match so I'm going to say a couple of things, but then I'm going to give it to you, Matt. But I, I, I kind of want to say these things first just because I want to see as someone that's got the same context as me watching all these shows, like if you feel the way I do or if I'm crazy. But um, this was the third and final match of the show where I felt like context changed things for me where um, I thought the story these guys told, they did a great job telling. I, I, I thought, you know, just take it on its own. It was a really good match, like a great match. I would still say it was a very good match, but I feel like what hurt my enjoyment from this is having watched every show again, the story didn't quite fit where I feel like these guys were at booking and character wise, because when we talked about final battle 2004 and the title change that happened there, um, one of the, like the thing I remember mentioning, one of my favorite things about that was the end of Joe's title ring had become about guys like punk trying to find like some secret weakness to beat Joe. And one of the cool things about Aries was the story of that match was basically like Aries didn't need some secret trick. He just hit him with everything he had, all his best stuff at the very end. And he won straight up, you know, he wasn't the underdog. Joe didn't slip on banana peel. He didn't win with a roll up, you know, and it really put Aries over strong. And this match, it goes the opposite way. It's all about Aries. He gets, it's not a squash. He gets his comebacks throughout the match, but he really gets beat to crap to the point where at one point in commentary, Mark Nolte is saying, you know, if this was a boxing fight, you know, the, the match would have been stopped already. Uh, Aries, like Keith says, blades on the Olay kicks, which almost nobody does. No, he, got, um, he probably got cut on the parts that I got cut on. Like, let's let's for me and him being true blood brothers, Chicago and Milwaukee combined. Let's sit there and say he got cut the same way I got on one of the twist ties, probably. <laughs> and um and even the and you know Aries does make his comebacks, but there are things Joe does in this match even that kind of um you know it makes Joe look 
it's a different kind of match. Like Joe at one point does his spot, which he does a few times in wrestling where he just gently like lifts Aries up and sets them down on the turnbuckle and just walks away. Like, there you go, kid. He even hits the muscle buster in this match, but unlike most wrestlers, he doesn't even have to uh, put him on the turnbuckle. He just lifts Aries up from just standing on the mat and hits the muscle buster to his credit. He lets uh, Aries kick out, but Aries here he even is selling more like a, cowardly heel at one point there's like a strike battle between the two and aries hits the ropes like he's about to come back and hit a big form and instead he just bails out of the ring and the crowd's like mocking him you know you're a wimp and he says something to the camera he's like look i just lost my dental insurance i can't afford to lose a tooth right now which is kind of that's indie wrestling life i guess where the world where you're champion of the company's like look i don't have dental insurance people no that's and, that's, uh, that's called that's called the united states of america <laughs> well honestly, usa honestly, usa even even Canada doesn't have a dental coverage, so honestly, we're a little behind too in that respect. But um, and, and then the finish, I um, I didn't like the finish because it, it again it, it made it feel like that Aries just basically survived by the skin of his teeth. Which again, I don't think the booking of Aries has completely been like that. I didn't think the execution was great either. So the finish is, um, Joe gets uh, Aries in the choke. He drops to his back. And the ref starts counting one, two, and then at two, Aries starts to flip over, but you can tell he's having just a little bit of trouble flipping over. And he does get to flip over before the three gets counted, but he doesn't do it with a lot of momentum and he doesn't do it till pretty late. And, you know, the, the idea is supposed to be, it's supposed to be, I guess, kind of like a variation of the, uh, well, Meltzer actually says in The Observer, the idea was to do the Bret Hart Roddy Piper 1992 WrestleMania finish. But this to me didn't come off as smoothly as that. And it, and it, 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 it more felt like Joe kind of half pinned himself than that match where the finish was very clever, kind of outwitting of another opponent. But anyway, I still thought overall this was a very good match. I enjoyed. I thought they did a good work. It's just um, I felt the story was weird based on the recent booking. But am I am I crazy, Matt? Um, I I don't think you're crazy. I, I didn't exactly have the same reaction. I I kind of I, I mean I see what you're saying. I, um, well, for one thing, um, like one thing I noticed about Joe is, um, you remember at the first night of the anniversary, he was like, my goals this year, are I'm going to be a triple crown champion. I'm going to win the pure title. I'm going to win the tag team title. And it's sort of like, well, you know, you didn't really mention how you're going to first wrestle for the world title again next week. <laughs> um, that, that seems like important to, to mention. Yeah. So like, maybe he should have waited to cut that, that promo if he was going to do this. Um, I don't know, but, um. But, you know, beside the point, um, I think it's just more like Ares has a new character now as champion, and which is the kind of, um, um, uh, I guess, um, cerebral Glass, heel. Sunglasses, good yeah, hair. Yeah, well, yes. He, he, yeah. He's a lot more comical in some of his selling and yeah. a, a lot more like kind of he, over the top heel gets his comeuppance than I remember so far, which yeah. and he's really good at it. And, and that's not just this match, by the way. Like he he plays that up even on the the show after he wins the title in that promo. He you know he he kind of wins the the cage match by the skin of his teeth. Definitely in that tag match the night before, he does it. You know he's much more of like the heel. You know he's not just like a, a like a, a like a kind of a tough but jerky guy who's also a great wrestler. He's He plays much more into just the jerky part than the wrestler part during this period. Obviously, he's still presented as a good wrestler, but 
But like you said, Joe dominates the early part of this match. But if you remember, Joe also dominated most of the final battle match. Um, the big difference is the attitude, the tone, the vibe. Um, in that final battle match, Joe was very serious. You know, he was he was trying to win, and and Aries was you know you know just hanging in there, coming from behind. In this one, Joe, like you said, is just is very like happy go lucky, cocky, almost like CM Punk was. Um, you know, posing. Gently placing him down in the turnbuckle, like you said. You know, after he does the ole ole kick, he gets back in the ring and poses. Um, actually, one of the most memorable parts of the match to me was when he does the ole ole kick the first time, but he puts a chair and I guess one of the fans like moves it. And so he does the ole ole kick and intentionally knocks the guardrail over and actually like points at the fan and says, Don't you ever touch my fucking chair. And I'm like, Jesus, I really. I'm really glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> like, and I quickly said, I'm sorry, Joe. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want to see Joe being, like, actually angry, like, that was scary in, like, a real way. He just, like, don't you ever fucking move my Like, holy shit. Yeah, I, like, if that guy didn't piss his pants, he's a better man than me. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and of course, Aries bladed on the on – the, was this the first time anyone's ever um, – I mean, I mean, hard way juiced on the ole ole kick? <laughs> I'm not sure, but again, that's another spot where, you know, rarely does someone, if ever, has someone, like, come up bleeding from it. Yeah, and I guess, but, you know, it it reminded me of the punk match, because the third punk match, because it's like, blading is the... uh is the classic way to differentiate a rematch, right? Like, oh yeah, this yeah. is the match where he bleeds. Um, but um, you know, and Joe even like works over the cut, like he's like like like, which usually it's something that a heel would do. Um, but yeah, he's very dominant. And the spot that you mentioned where um, he just lifts up Aries for the muscle buster, it's it's actually like a play on the first match because Aries goes for the brain buster, which is what led to him, um, you know, winning. Um, Winning in that uh, in that first match, um, he hit the brain buster and then the four fifty, but he couldn't get up Joe for the brain buster, so he he kicks him a bunch of times. Like uh, he goes like he goes nuts with kicks, and then he goes for it again, and then Joe instead just lifts him up and hits the muscle buster, and Aries gets his foot on the ropes. But you know that did get a great pop. Um, yeah. Um, and then you know then they they played on the finish again because Aries did the low kick, did the brain buster, um, got got two. Joe moved out of the way for the four fifty and went right at him with the knees. Then hit got the choke. Aries got went for the choke. Joe got uh, Aries got a low blow, but Joe just no sold it, and, and and that's when they had the finish where Aries rolled back. But like, do you think that that finish was done the way it was meant to, or do you think Aries was supposed to roll back before the count started? That was the thing that I wasn't sure of. Because obviously, the ref started counting, and like at the last second, Aries rolled back. Do you think that it was supposed to be done differently? Yeah, I feel like he should have rolled. I mean, I don't know if it was supposed to, but I feel like it would have worked better if he had rolled like from the one count or even before the one count. Yeah, I just you can't know, tell if it was... Have... Yeah, I, can't, I just couldn't tell if it was a botch or if it was like just should have done been done differently i i couldn't tell but i I agree that it made the finish seem kind of cheap um so i thought that the match was 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 very good um i didn't really mind it in terms of like how it fit their um their characters i think it's just a a manner of aries changing his character a little bit and um but i also think the tone of the match you know meant that it could never match that final battle match because that final battle match had such a special vibe and in this one it's like they were more just like having fun you know it wasn't like they were going for that ultimate classic and um and um and like like dr keith said the there's no way that anyone really believed that they were going to switch the title back already so i think that that hurt a little little bit too but i think if they were gonna have to get out of it with having aries beat joe 
you know, you knew that they weren't going to have him beat Joe dominantly again, or not, not you know, not dominantly, but decisively. And this this finish wasn't like it wasn't like a total heel finish. You know, he he won cleanly. It just wasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it actually would have been better if it was a more overtly heel finish. But I guess they felt like they couldn't do that two matches in a row. But it's I, it's I, like you said before. It's like the Tope with the cage match with Colt. It's it's another. He he didn't cheat, but he just barely. He finds a way to just sneak out with the win, just barely. Yeah, but no, I thought it was. I thought it was very good. I th- I, 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 I my favorite match of the show was Punk versus Rave for the novelty of it. But I thought this was probably technically a significantly better match. But I I, I would say it would maybe my second favorite match of the show. The the one thing I I will note is um. There is a moment in this match. It's really weird because you rarely see it from either of these guys where um, Aries does a big charge into the corner. And he, it's obviously for the spot where uh, Joe grabs the guy who charges at him in the corner. He does the big Uranagi slam and they completely botch. It, it looks like Aries like turns instead of going straight forward and they just botch it. And then they repeat the spot later in the match and they kind of hit it. But even then it doesn't look great. And it's rare that you see two guys like this good not only is like screw up a spot but still not especially a spot that joe does all the time and then they kind of screw it up a second time even which is weird but just a weird little thing to look for for anyone that's watching the match um but yeah still a very good match um after the match aries reaches out for a handshake and joe accepts as Joe and Aries leave, most of the Ring of Honor locker room walk to the ring. Uh, Colt Cabano grabs the mic to put over three glorious years of Ring of Honor. He credits the fans for Ring of Honor now for, for the, the fact that Ring of Honor is now able to tour the Midwest. Uh, Colt tells the audience that the wrestlers are going to give the fans a standing ovation, which they do. So this is a little um, symmetry because the the start of the first of the three third-year anniversary shows started with uh, everyone coming out and giving the fans a standing ovation. So that's how they're ending it. And the, 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 the difference fight. the difference is there's less star power this time because Joe was out the first time, Punk was out the first time. You know, now they don't have either of them. But it was still nice. Punk, Punk is blinded right now yes. on his way to the hospital. Yes. And for some reason or another, noted Chicago independent refer- referee extraordinaire Lockport Joe is, is there for some reason or another, <laughs> which I, I still, you know, even, you know, 15 years later, I don't understand. I think I'm going to text him right now and ask him about this. <laughs> Keith, one thing you mentioned uh, in the lead up to the show, which uh, I didn't mention, is uh, I believe you said you sat next to Austin Aries' parents for this show. Oh, God, that's right. Because they were both wearing Austin Aries shirts, which I thought was very weird. But uh, yeah, that was cool. You know, like I don't remember too much about it, but I remember like I remember her, his mom sort of being upset about the blood aspect of it. Yeah, that's why I, I was wondering. I was just sort of, I, I think I remember being like, I'm sure he's fine. You know, like, it, oh. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, uh, you know, Mrs. Foley, uh, Mick Foley's wife and, and the kids and stuff like that. Like, you know, <laughs> no, I'm sure he just lost some brain cells. But hey, I'm sure he's not going to have any problems working anywhere else in the future. So we do get one backstage segment to end the show. We cut backstage with the embassy. Nana is so happy with how uh, Rave and Fast Eddie, uh, who, by the way, I should know, Prince Nana just calls Fast Eddie fast, which for some reason, instead of Eddie, which just tickles me for some reason. He's so happy with how the both the guys did tonight. Uh, Nana then tears off the bunch of the black like duct tape that was wrapped around the aerosol can they used tonight to reveal that it was not, in fact, air freshener, but hot shot brand bug spray. 
say, as Nana says, Nana says about, about this, quote, flammable to the eyes, unquote. Well, I'll give you the whole quote. I'll go, flammable to the eyes. Make sure it does not get into your eyes. You must go to the doctor three days afterward. It's like. He says within three days. Yeah, he doesn't say, he doesn't say within. He says, he says you must go three days afterwards. So it's like, what am I supposed to do? So I'm just supposed to wait three days before I get this checked out? And it doesn't maim either. Yeah. That's right. Nana is so Nana is great because he's one of those guys where he's got such um, charisma that like he gets thing little things like just half wrong all the time, but somehow it just adds to it. Like he gets away with things that no one else could. Like reading this can, there's so many other people that couldn't get away with it, but it just makes it better. Um, Nana says they're going to go out drinking and partying tonight, and he can't wait to tell John Walters about this. Well, he like, actually says John Walters and the rest of the guys, which I was like, if I were the Outcast Killers, would I be disappointed that he didn't mention me by name, or would I be actually honored that he even remembered that there were other guys? <laughs> they were guys. Yeah. But uh, that brings John Walters is a pure champion. He's actually at Nana's vacation home in Ghana. That's right. right. He sure is. So. Exactly. Smelling all that good money and, and uh, coffee. but uh, Yes. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, Keith, you called this an, at the time when you re- watched it live. An amazingly strong show. What do you think about revisiting it all these years later? 15 years. I think it was a very good show. Uh, I think, you know... I, I, I think it doesn't get the love maybe that other Chicago Ridge ROH shows have, but there was some really good stuff on here. Uh, I love the simplicity of the rave and punk stuff. Uh, I love shenanigans involving shoelaces even more now than I did before. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was a good show. I mean, it was. It, you got to remember though, and I think I think you put it best when talking about the last scene where you know the the locker room sort of comes out, and you know definitely the star power isn't what it was a few years ago but there was definitely some talented members of the locker room there and i thought the last two matches delivered uh and i think it was the start of a very fun cm punk versus jimmy jimmy ray feud that we saw and then just uh you know like the alex shelley and uh who didn't come out at the end which would have been great because he should have been in a medical hospital at that time uh or at least you know it seemed like alex shelley got the time of the paramedics probably because he was the baby bear at the time but uh i thought i thought it was a good show i mean i I wouldn't sit there and say this is an all-time ring of honor show i would sit there and say my favorite match still is the jackson evans versus alex shelley match uh really really fun stuff by both those guys but there was nothing on here that was offensive now keep in mind though i mean we didn't we lost the ring crew express show on (laughs) a match on the show so that that sort of you know takes it down i like my wrestling you know if there's you know they they didn't need to remove a match from the show just to get it all on one dvd so but uh yeah i i enjoyed the show on a number of levels and that's really what you could ask out of pro wrestling you know i think it led to other stuff in the future as well which was enjoyable and i i think anytime that i have more than one page of notes on something through the years that's great and more importantly i i I love to hear what i felt about this show 15 years ago (laughs) this is uh yeah i can't wait till someone has us on and plays our quotes back 15 years from now um that won't be depressing at all um so i i thought this was my uh, favorite show of the four we've watched so far in 2005 i thought I, I don't know if it'll be like 
in our top in in my top three at the end of the year because I think we have thirty more shows to go through. I'll, we'll probably find three better than this, but um, I found that it had good variety. Like I, 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 you know, the Punk and Rave match felt so different. The Aries Joe match, I, I, I had even if I thought it didn't quite fit with the booking, had its own kind of vibe to it. The the Evans Shelley match, you know, was really cool. And then even though we saw the Cornet Heenan match you know very similar to that last year like this is still a match different than usually see in ring of honor different than anything else on the show i felt like even the matches that i wasn't a big fan like I, if the worst match on the show is is t is puma versus uh james gibson that still was a perfectly decent fine watchable match so overall i thought this was a a, a very good show that i enjoyed quite a bit and yeah like keith said it's not gonna it's not maybe remembered as like a it's not a show people really talk about a lot or remember, but you know, it did a good crowd. It had some significant matches and moments and I had a good, really good time watching it. Um, Matt, what'd you think? Um, I think I liked the uh, night two a bit more, but it was still a good show. Um, I, I agree with you about the variety. I thought there were, there were a couple matches that I thought could have been a little bit better. Um, you know, maybe had so, uh, some strange vibes, but I thought this, um, this had the best main event of the three nights. Um, I still think probably my favorite my favorite overall match of the third anniversary was the cage match, um, and the uh, like the most fun match I would say was the uh, the tag team match um, with Evans and Aries yeah. against Joe and Danielson. Um, so I don't think this this show had a match that was on either of those levels, but I really enjoyed that rave punk match a lot. I thought it was it was very novel for somebody who was who'd been watching all these shows, like you said, and uh, you know I just think the ROH is just so solid at this time that it's very hard for them to do anything less than a, than a, a quite good show. And I thought that's what this was. And, uh, um, and it was, it was fun. And I thought, you know, the crowd was good. I thought, I thought the Chicago crowd had a little bit more of like a, an edge to it than some of the other Chicago crowds in terms of some of the things they were chanting, but I still <laughs> thought they were a good crowd. Do you that's mean the like hard F chant during the Jimmy rave match? Yeah. <laughs> a couple of, uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, mainly that, but, as you point out, Matt, they did boo Man on One Violence, which is a, a big breakthrough for the Ring of Honor crowd in it's terms of uh, emotion. It's Chicago, definitely true. Chicago, the social justice warriors, everybody. Congratulations. So, well, you know. Well, I remember Reborn uh, last year. Um, you know, not, we actually probably reviewed it like 40 years ago. But last last year in uh, in the actual time of the show, when um, – when they had the the Divari match and somebody uh, chanted something about Slurpees or something like that, and the other fans chanted "You are racist" at them, so you're right. Chicago is a very woke crowd, except for that one <laughs> chant that we're talking about. <laughs> so, um, Keith, uh, what what do you what do you have to plug? I mean, this has been a very <laughs> weird year for like, like like I know AEW has been coming back and running shows but like I mean what's the last few months and the next few months look like for you cuz I I know I mean everybody right now has been going through a weird year but especially if you're working in independent wrestling yes. it's been incredibly weird. Yeah, it was something where we wanted to run four times till the end of the year. So we got a building and we had, you know, we had something where we were going to do ticket sales at, at 50 
And after the first show, uh, we were told that we couldn't have 25 people in the room. So we ended up doing three shows on Fight. All those shows are available right now on HighSpots.com. And I think they were pretty fun shows because we had sort of the same crew and we actually tried to tell stories with that crew over those three shows to lead to the big show that was supposed to be in December, which, of course, got canceled because of this virus. But I think I think once things sort of get back to normal, I'm excited to do pro wrestling again. But it's sort of a nice to have a nice break from it and yeah. you know hopefully you guys can you know just crank out a show every few days so we can talk about nowhere to run sooner because i have time i have time to kill guys I mean, <laughs> this, this is this is you know be, between riding uh, the peloton bike this this is all i have now guys you know so, where it's become like once or twice this year i've actually thought Hmm. I wonder if a Dr. Keith show should make a reappearance. And then I realized, God, no, that's a horrible, horrible <laughs> idea. Like, you know, maybe, maybe a series like Letterman on Netflix. Could, it could be what I would want to do, but no, it's uh, yeah. Uh, right now, independent wrestling isn't what it used to be. Ain't what it used to be, but uh, you know, so many things aren't what they used to be. And I just uh, definitely hope that everyone stays healthy uh, and just uh, deals with whatever shit is thrown at us over the next six months. And then we could potentially all hug again and go to wrestling shows and be crowd control when people <laughs> yell the hard F at guys. So uh, right now, the only thing I could plug, of course, AW Pro, definitely check out the High Spots Network. Uh, not only do you get all these wonderful shoot interviews from back in the day, you could actually watch, I believe there's over 100 AAW events on there right now. Uh, and a lot of them over the last seven years I've been involved with. So definitely check that out. If you're on eBay, definitely write in Wrestling Society X for the first and last season of Wrestling Society X on uh, the fine Blu-ray. Uh, uh, not Blu-ray. I wish it was Blu-ray. That would be something. I'm going to text Kleinrock about that right now. Uh, but uh, definitely check that out. Definitely don't check out uh, uh, Last Call with Raven and Sandman. But definitely check out the interview <laughs> I did with New Jack, uh, I believe that could also be found on your greater eBay. And but definitely still support independent wrestling because uh, those guys are hurting right now. If there's a guy that you like, definitely you know find out if they have a, a, a you know a t-shirt shop that isn't uh, one based in Chicago uh, and try and help the talent that you like and respect. And definitely continue to support pro wrestling. It's been sort of a dark year in many respects. Uh, I know some people like myself feel the wwe zooming crowd just gets a little bit overwhelming but uh definitely still continue to support pro wrestling because it's still when it comes down to it there's nothing else like professional wrestling but most importantly everyone have a wonderful holiday season for all my jewish friends uh i'm sorry hanukkah's over with but hey christmas is coming up in a few days happy kwanzaa and definitely happy new year Really, I don't want to say it can't get any worse because as my boss says, you don't want to speak something into existence, but uh, but definitely continue to support and also support fine quality podcast and Patreons that you respect. If there was an ROH through the years, I would definitely pay my good money for an ROH through the years podcast where you would hear me just talk my big league talk to the guys once the microphone button is off. So. <laughs> well. Uh, first off, I don't know. I was going to do a year-end spiel, but I don't know how I could follow that up. I, I can just do our plugs, which is through the years at gmail.com. That's T-H-R-O-H for through. 
at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. We have a thread on the ProWrestlingOnly.com forum in the plug section. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is, yeah, this has been a horrible year. The, the kind of ironic thing I was thinking back is um, this has not been a good year for anyone, and it hasn't been a good year for me, but uh, the two years before this year were the worst years of my life, so this year was actually better for me. Like This was like, as everyone else was saying, this is the worst year ever, I was like, this is the best year in three years for me. This is, this is not bad at all. And that includes me like going to the hospital with the worst physical pain of my life. It was still like the best year, like of the last three. So my, my point is this, which is if there's a lesson I've learned from this year and the last few years, I realize for a lot of people, certainly in terms of a million things, this has been one of the worst years of your life. As someone that's gone through a lot of crap and kind of the other end, what I'll just say for you to end this year in the holiday season is, um, the one silver lining to going through a horrible year is you don't even need to have a very good next year to have it be an improvement. When you're on rock bottom, you're on solid ground. So I, what I can say is like, even if this, the next year from my experience is just a little bit better, it's going to feel great. Like you're going to have very low expectations, which is going to make next year a pretty good. Like even if it's a crappy year, it's going to feel good to you next year. Like you're going to be like, wow, I get to go to a store. I get to go to, even if it's a, like for example, even if there's a bad indie wrestling show next year, it's going to be great because you're going to be out with people having a good time. Like, and, um, yeah, so that, that's my depressing, optimistic view of, of 2021 for everyone. It's going to get better, even if it's crappy. And, uh, thank you everyone for listening to us. It's been 18 episodes this year. Thank you for supporting us as always until next time. Have a good time. Have a great time.